Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. And welcome to the Tech Ranch, everybody. This is your guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. We're going to be going through some of the new updates today in both Android and iOS. So if you are an Apple phone user, a Google or Android phone user, you will have uh, some new features that are coming out iOS 17 uh, just being released. And we have all kinds of great new things to talk about there And a little bit later, we're going to go through Android 14. Hasn't been released yet, but I have some advanced news on some of the things that Android 14 will have in it. Uh, Of course, if you're an Apple user, you can go and get the new iOS 17 as we speak. And uh, I'd be interested to hear, by the way, if you've had some issues with uh, the integration of iOS 17 and uh but let's go through some of the things that uh are really interesting and and there are some very interesting things uh in the new iOS 17 um probably you know and these are these are the bigger things uh the first one that's on the list is you get to customize what people see when you call so it's not just maybe a photo of you anymore when you call although it can be you can actually create these great graphics uh, have your name attached to them in a fun way. You can have an avatar of yourself. You get to customize what the person sees. Maybe it's coming from a work phone, so you can have your company logo in that. I mean, however you want it to be uh, when the phone rings and you call somebody else. And I'm assuming that this means when you're calling somebody else with an Apple phone, I don't know the answer to this, and I need to find out. Um, but if you're calling somebody with an Apple phone, they will see... Uh, the customization that you've done uh, with that, which is kind of a cool deal. So uh, that's the first big feature is that customization. The next one is live voicemail. And I think this is a very cool feature. Uh, Live voicemail, basically when you are, if you call somebody who has a phone running iOS 17, the voicemail that you leave them will be transcribed Uh, meaning that it's voice to text, and then it'll show up on the locked part of, you know, on the locked uh, screen, right? So a person, somebody's calling you, and you're in a meeting, and you don't want to pick up the phone, uh, you can, the person who's leaving you the message, that text version of that voicemail will show up on the lock screen. And so if it's important, right, if you have an emergency going on or whatever, and you can determine then if it's more important than what you're doing right now or if you can let it slide until after you're done with your meeting or whatever you're doing. So uh, that really is a very, very cool feature. And along with that, uh, as the text starts to appear on your lock screen, there is a slide to answer. So you can slide that over and then take the phone call as they're leaving you a voicemail. Pretty cool, isn't it? So I think that is going to be a great feature uh, for a lot of people who are using iOS 17. So I certainly want to give that a try if you haven't already. Live voicemail if you're an Apple user. 
the messages as well. Uh, all of your iMessage apps are going to be in one place. You can tap the new plus button to view all the things you send the most, like photos, audio messages, and your location. Uh, swipe up to view the rest of your iMessage apps. And I think the, the, the cool thing here, and I don't know if a lot of people know that they can do this, but you can send your location via text or via message to other people. So if you're, you know, going someplace and somebody calls you and say, Hey, I'm at blah, blah, blah. Come on out for dinner or whatever. Uh, via a text, you can actually send the, um, you know, the map or your, of your location. So people can just, uh, navigate right to where you're at. So I think that's a very cool thing. It's been out for a little while already, but I don't think a lot of people know, uh, that, that, that is there. So take a look at that and it'll probably make your life a lot easier too. Uh, something else in iOS 17, let your friend know when you've, when you arrive safely. Uh, so there's a check-in automatically notifies your friend or family member when you arrive at your destination, such as your home. So you're leaving someplace, they say, Hey, send me a text when you get there. Let me know that you're okay. You can actually just have that. Your phone will auto do this for you. If you let it know that that's what you want. Uh, that's a pretty cool feature too. And, uh, especially if you have, I'm just thinking of the uses for this. You have, uh, maybe children, you know, who are coming home from school or whatever, and you're still at work. As soon as they get home, their phone will actually send you a note saying that, uh, you know, your kids have arrived at the house. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. Catch up and swipe to reply. So this is a pretty cool feature as well. There's a new catch-up arrow lets you jump to the first message you haven't seen in a conversation. So let's say somebody has sent you, you know, multiple text messages and you want to just get to the top. You can do that and the with, with the uh, catch-up arrow, right? What I find even more interesting, though, is that now you can swipe to the right on any message to send a reply. How cool is that? So you don't have to go to the bottom of the screen and start texting. You can actually just swipe to the right and you'll be able to send them a message. So that's a pretty cool feature as well. Um, search features or filters. So you can find the message you're looking for faster by combining search filters to quickly narrow your search. So if it's, you know, a restaurant that you're looking for through searches or whatever, you can do that. Uh, that's pretty cool as well. And again, everybody, if you're just joining us, we're talking about the new features in iOS 17. I promise we'll be talking about Android a little bit later. So if you're not an Apple phone user, uh, we're going to get into the new features that Android 14 will have uh, coming out a little bit later this year as well. Um, there's a new feature, a new way to share and view locations on iOS 17. Uh, you can share your location or request a friend's location from the plus button when someone shares a location with you, you can view it directly within your conversation. So that'll actually pop up in the conversation in the text window as to where they're at and how far away you are from them and all of that, which is kind of cool. Um, read an audio message transcription. Audio messages are now transcribed. So all audio messages that you'll get uh, will be transcribed so you can just read them in the moment and listen later if you want. So that's pretty cool as well. I'm not sure if you can turn that feature off. 
but it is there and I am, I would rather most of the messages that I get, I would rather read them than listen to them. Uh, it just seems a little more cumbersome to actually have to listen. Uh, there's just something about that, I guess. And I'm not a big texting person, so it's, it's weird for me to say that, but, uh, I can see where that would really be handy. Um, stickers. If you're a stickers user, uh, the new sticker drawer lets you access all your live stickers, emojis, emojis, and other sticker packs in one place. Your stickers sync with iCloud, so they are available on your iPhone, iPad, and, excuse me, Mac devices. So all of your stickers will be in one place. Not a big sticker user myself yet, but with this next feature, uh, I might be. You can also create one-of-a-kind stickers. So you can use your own photos to create live stickers. And the sample I'm looking at right now is a picture of a cat on a chair. And they're able to cut out the cat part of that and then make a sticker. And after you've cut out the cat in there, it's showing you that uh, you can colorize it. You can do all kinds of great things to make stickers. Uh, That's a pretty cool feature. And I could see myself using that. So I might, uh, you might see me sending more stickers in the near future. Very, very cool. Let's see other things on the iOS, uh, 17. Oh, here we go. The stylized live stickers with effects. Just like I was talking about, you can add effects like shiny, puffy, cosmic, and outline or create animated live stickers made with your live photos. So. A lot of fun. I, I could see a lot of people doing that. Uh, you can also use your stickers in more places. Your sticker drawer is in the emoji keyboard, so you can use stickers anywhere. You can access emoji, including apps from the App Store. Use markup to add stickers to photos, documents, screenshots, and more. So you can create these one-of-a-kind stickers, add them to a photo, send it away. So a lot more creativity uh, is being included in iOS 17 as well. Uh, FaceTime, some ups, updates there. Uh, record a message, uh, or excuse me, record a video and and or audio message when someone misses your FaceTime call. So if you call somebody using FaceTime, you can now just record a video or audio message to leave them uh Again, I'm not an iOS or Apple user. I'm actually surprised that this feature wasn't out before. I just assumed that it was possible to do that, but you can record a video or audio message if somebody misses your FaceTime call. So it must just automatically go to that. Uh, Facebook, of course, has changed our, the way we communicate. I use a, uh, with Google, Android, I use Duo. I'm um, not as popular. The thing with Duo is that I can talk to people who have FaceTime as well. So that's why I really like that little feature. Uh, what else do we got? Uh, react with your hands. Add a reaction that fills the camera fa- frame with fun 3D augmented reality effects like hearts, confetti, fireworks, and more. And you can share a reaction with just a hand gesture. So you can use your hands to add confetti, for example, you know, to a photo uh, or any other type of augmented reality, you know, hearts, fireworks, whatever. And uh, and then you can share that reaction, which is kind of fun. And the one I'm looking at here is a gentleman that has confetti rolling all around him. And it's it's dimensional, meaning that there's confetti behind the person and in front of them. So it's that's pretty cool. Uh, FaceTime on Apple TV. 
Use your iPhone as a camera and start a call directly from your FaceTime app on Apple TV or hand off the call from your iPhone to your TV. So if you're an Apple TV user, you have uh, much better access to uh, actually have that phone call going on your large screen television. That's pretty cool. Um, standby, a new full screen experience. Uh, turn your iPhone on its side while charging to make it even more useful when you set it down. So there's all kinds of other features you can have. You can have like a big clock on display. Um, there's all kinds of cool things in there as well. Uh, so all kinds of new things with the new iOS. And uh, we'll be back after the break. The Tech Ranch. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. And welcome back to the Tech Ranch, everybody. Marlo Anderson, your guru of geek. We just finished up with the list of new features for iOS 17. Some of you probably, if you're Apple phone users, have already put this on your phones or other devices. And uh, if you haven't, there's a lot of great new features in there. But now we're going to switch over to Android users. And Android probably doesn't have as many new features coming out in Android 14. It's um, There's a lot of great features, of course, already built into it. And you know, because iOS, Apple is, you know, their system is, you know, it's a little different than Android. Android is more open source, used with developers, that type of thing. And that's why you have this myriad of many, many different companies that sell Android-based phones. Of course, the iOS is it's strictly for Apple phones. So you have to, I guess you kind of have to understand that when you are thinking about the differences between the operating systems because a lot of the operating system changes in Android will be won't be as flashy because it's not just about the phone it's just about the it is about the operating system and then things you know like Samsung for example will build on top of that with their own features just so you understand that um you know in Samsung I'm a big user of Samsung phones I uh, love the ability to write my notes on the phone and all that good stuff uh, and I absolutely adore the cameras that come with uh, the phone that I have. So love that part of it. And, and they're, in, they're gonna, so Android 14, just see, so I just want you to understand that. Um, so if you're, you know, a big Android user and you're not seeing like these great features that I just went through with iOS 17, it's because it's a software, not a software hardware combination. Hope you can understand that. I hope I'm, I'm explaining that well enough for you to understand. So under Android 14, and this will be coming out a little bit later this year. They're close. Um, I, I had heard rumors originally that it was going to be coming out in August. That obviously hasn't happened, but sometime this year you're going to see Android 14, uh, the upgrade, the update for your phone to do this. So with that, you're going to see a lock screen customization. Uh, you can go in and on your lock screen, you'll now be able to choose color, type, size of customization for your lock screen. You have some of those features already, but it's going to be much better. As you've probably noticed, even in iOS 17 with Apple, uh, customization seems to be uh, the way a lot of these things are going. People are wanting to uh, customize their devices and it's not just about like the phone case that you get anymore. And that really is the 
number one way to customize your phone. Uh, but now it's about customization within the phone itself. You know, what are you going to show as your lock screen photo? Uh, the sizes of your fonts, all of that good stuff. Uh, along with that home, improved home screen, uh, customization, uh, better theming for the built in Android customizations. So again, it's really about that operating system. My guess is, uh, Samsung or Google with the Pixel phone or whatever phone you're, you're going with, uh, they will customize things on top of that. So you have, that better customization with that uh, improved accessibility. Uh, they're talking about nonlinear font scaling, gendered grammatical inflection API. I have no idea what that means. I'm reading over it again. Still not understanding what that is. Interesting. Uh, the per app language preferences. So that will be, you know, if you're English speaking, Spanish speaking, those Language preferences will be easier for you. Regional preferences as well. Uh, and then custom sharing actions for apps. So that sharing feature that you see like in gaming uh, will become more prevalent even with other apps, which I think is interesting. And I'm really curious to see how app developers are going to take advantage of that. That's pretty cool uh, when you think about that ability to share other app features uh, with other people. So HDR video capture. Now this is speaking to the core of what I like. The camera two API now supports the capture of stunning HDR video. So there, there's been a lot more progress in the capture of HDR video. And I don't know how it gets better, but of course it's going to continue to get better. The sensors on these phones are just phenomenal. Uh, I mean, it, it literally is taking photography to another level. And uh, we talk about this all the time with the capture of video, even with uh, for television now. I mean, we're, we're filming uh, some pieces in Tokyo here in the near future, and we're thinking about how are we going to film that and be mobile at the same time and we're like well you know maybe we just shoot everything on our devices because the video that they take are is is incredible too uh so you might see some of the stuff that we have coming out on our show destination celebration that will be filmed uh solely with our devices that we carry with us our phones which is incredible when you really think about that uh and of course this has been done already quite a bit but it's not the standard uh, that most uh, will use, but the quality is still pretty astounding. And the fact that you can just put it in your pocket and carry it with you uh, is is what really makes that possible. So uh, got to love that. Uh, custom back gestures with animations. Android 14 has a predictive back gesture that will show you where you'll end up. So... Gestures seem to be becoming more and more prevalent where you just wave your hand in a certain way or both hands and things will happen. So uh, you're seeing more and more of that going on all the time. Of course, it's very, very popular in some of the gaming uh, systems that are out there, but hasn't been really integrated in phones too much. But now you're starting to see more and more of that again. Uh, better third-party app stores. This is the other thing that Android has an advantage on over uh, Apple is that you can have third-party app stores 
whether that's good or bad, you know, a lot of people talk about the security issues of having that, but Android does embrace it and they're going to embrace it even more. And my guess is that they'll have better uh, security protocols that they're putting these other app stores through. But Android embraces custom app stores by providing an API that allows these uh, to provide a better user experience. So uh, that just means the potential for more and more apps coming our way, which is a good thing. I, I like uh, playing with these new features all the time. And then the last one on the list is the Privacy Preserving Screenshot Detection API. And Android 14 will detect when the user takes a screenshot. Um, so I'm not sh- Okay, so that's a Privacy Preserving Screenshot. So uh, basically, you take a screenshot that won't be available to other people to see, I'm guessing is what that is. So Privacy Screenshot Detection. Um, and they have these like grayed out screens that you can do if you're taking a screenshot, for example, of maybe some banking information or something along those lines for re, you know, so that you can remember that a little bit later. I do this a lot myself. Um, then that information, there'll be more privacy around that screenshot. So that's interesting. Uh, I know when I take screenshots right now, those screenshots get uploaded into my Google photo account. And I've always wondered about that because I, I do that with like uh, when I'm traveling and I have my boarding pass, right? I take a picture or a screenshot of that in case I don't have great internet connectivity when I'm going in to check into the plane. And a lot of people do this. This would probably fall into that space where it's not going to get uploaded into that Google um, Photos space. So anyway, those are some of the changes or some of the updates you're seeing in Android as well. Uh, so now you have a pretty good comparison between Android and iOS with the new operating systems that have just been announced or soon coming out. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. The Tech Ranch. As we explore the cutting edge of tech with Marlo and Steve. For more exclusive content, visit thetechranch.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Tech Ranch. This is your guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Thanks for joining us today. We're going to get into talking about Tesla and not about the normal Tesla stuff that uh, we probably normally talk about or even what you're used to seeing, you know, Tesla cars, uh, of course, the EVs, the electric vehicles that Tesla has put out and uh, still lead the pack in that technology. But Tesla has a few other things. Tesla also creates um, solar products. They have a battery pack. Uh, that a lot of people put in, in their garages or whatever to power their home and or their vehicle. And that synergy is always interesting uh, because you can buy a 5,000 kilowatt hour battery pack uh, that in your house and that would uh, you install, install it probably in your garage. Most people do this. And then it charges, uh, whether it's through conventional power or... Um, you have some type of solar array that you put on your house or what have you that will charge this up and then you can utilize that to charge your car and or run your home. Uh, a lot of people will run these and, and I always call it conditioned power. Uh, and it's very similar to like a UPS, an uninterruptible power supply that you put like on your computer, right? Or maybe your large screen TV or what have you. And those type of technologies actually extend the life of those electronics much more because of the conditioned power that they have uh, coming out of them. So when you plug into your wall 
with, let's say, a refrigerator or your computer, um, you're putting the electronics in that device. Uh, it's, it's susceptible to the spikes that happen uh, in current that come into your house. I mean, it can be anywhere from, from you know, 80 to 120, 130 you know, you plug into a 110 outlet, right? And you're expecting there's always going to be 110 coming out of it, but that's not the case. When you have an uninterruptible power supply, what happens is that the, basically that power that's coming into that unit then, which spikes all over the place, is charging a battery, which then always delivers 110. So it's always conditioned, meaning that the refrigerator, the television, or whatever doesn't have to worry about a spike of electricity or even being underpowered for a certain amount of time, which is also hard on them. Uh, so that's why I always say that it's good, especially if you have electronics that are expensive or you have uh, you know, a computer that you're using that's very specific for something. If you're in a, a veteran clinic or a veterinarian clinic, for example, uh, and you have specific software on this and you don't want that computer to, I'm just picking on that, I guess, uh, it could be an accounting office, it could be whatever, right? Uh, you have a very specific use of this computer, very high-end software on it. You want it to last for a long period of time. You want to protect the source of power coming into it and always having conditioned power is, is a thing. So anyway, Tesla makes those. And uh, along with that, Tesla also makes robots. And I don't think a lot of people know this, but uh, Tesla's robot uh, program is called Optimus, O-P-T-I-M-U-S. And it's been around since 2021. And it has come a long ways in a very short period of time. The robot is humanoid, just so you know. Uh, It actually has arms and legs and has fingers. And They're, of course, integrating artificial intelligence into this. And I'm just uh, looking at a video right now. Um, It's humanoid in that there's a gentleman that's in this video that's, it's about, I, I do not, I do not know how tall this gentleman is that's working with Optimus right here, but the gentleman's probably three or four inches taller. So, you know, it might be five feet tall. I, I guess I don't know the height of it here, but but anyway, it's very humanoid-like, and it looks and reacts like it's human as well. And that's what's interesting about it. Um, it is sorting blocks like Lego blocks, and they're putting. It's putting. There's three three blue ones, three green ones. There is a blue tray and there's a yellow tray. And this robot, the Tesla Optimus, is actually taking these blocks and putting the blue ones in the blue tray, the green ones in the yellow tray, and the gentleman there is mixing them up. And and just like a person who would be trying to grab the blue one uh, and put it in the blue tray is actually, as he mixes them up, moves its hands. And and it's very humanoid, like watching this thing make decisions and putting these blocks in the right place space if they're flipped up to the on its side it straightens them out it has all of that going on of course you've probably seen the 
I think her name is Eve, uh, or the robot's name is Eve, that actually has conversations with people um, and is it seems very intelligent uh, when having a conversation. So uh, I'm only bringing this up because there are these different areas between robot and artificial intelligence right now that different companies are working on. And these things are going to start to become merged more and more as we move along. Artificial intelligence, of course, we talk about it on the show all the time, has just changed the world, uh, even to the general public in the last, you know, nine months since ChatGPT came out. And now we have others like Bard and uh, many others that have emerged uh, since then. And, of course, AI has been used in a lot of different things uh, up to this point. It just hasn't been so public. Now it's really becoming public, and people are seeing all of these different things that are going on. The robot by Tesla is really, really interesting. And I think it's something that we probably need to kind of keep our eye on. Uh, it's it's a general-purpose, bipedal, autonomous humanoid robot, and I'm reading from um, an article that just came out here. It's capable of performing unsafe, repetitive, or boring tasks, writes Tesla about the Optimus robot on the page. So that's what it's being designed for. It's an autonomous humanoid robot that uh, if there's there are things that, that are unsafe for humans to do, maybe repetitive or boring, you know, uh, factory uh, assembly lines, for example, unsafe, you know, can it can it work in a nuclear power plant in the area that humans can't go into because of too much radiation, for example, I'm just throwing these things out there, or if it's too hot, or, you know, working in a mine and things like that. These are the things that these robots are being developed for. And I'll just go on to read a little bit more. Achieving that end goal requires building the software stacks that enable balance, navigation, perception, and interaction with the physical world. And they're hiring. We're hiring deep learning, computer vision, motion planning, controls, mechanical, and general software engineers to solve some of our hardest engineering challenges. So a lot of work available in this space as well, as you can probably understand why. So it's really interesting. Um, the news comes just a few months after Tesla's quarter two earnings call and explained that Optimus production was way down compared to its forecast, primarily due to the lack of supply for its actuators. So they're having a, a supply chain issue to build, uh, the Optimus. They obviously have orders for this already, and I can understand that there's probably all kinds of places, uh, that the Optimus robot can be used. And if you want to check this out, um, you can go to uh, X, formerly Twitter, and uh, Tesla.com slash AI is another place that you can watch the Optimus robot work. It's really interesting, and it wouldn't surprise me sometime in the future. There are already robots that are, f- that are starting to serve us food in restaurants, cook us our food in restaurants. It wouldn't surprise me if you wouldn't see one in the future with an apron, uh, you know, making your pizza in the back room or, or what have you at a restaurant, right? I just uh, think that the opportunity for robots uh, to be integrated into our world is going to become a reality very, very fast. And, you know, with the worker shortage that we have nowadays, that's interesting. Um, I also think that, uh, and these are just opinions of mine, 
But where we have worker shortages is where robotics and artificial intelligence are going to become the the way to go. One of the challenges that I have when I think about that is education. And uh, we have a serious lack of teachers in our country right now. And there's such a need for teachers that I, and I feel that artificial intelligence and robots are going to start to come into the classroom in a very, very short period of time. And because what do you do? You have a need. You have our students that need to be educated. Uh, you have classrooms that do not have people to man those classrooms in a traditional sense. So, People are looking at, all right, what can we do instead? And I do believe that you're going to see this merging of robotics and artificial intelligence come together very, very fast and start filling in uh, in these places. And teaching will be one of them. And I don't know how you feel about that. It's interesting, right? But it is an area that I think will be uh, um, certainly explored in the next couple of years uh, will be AI in the classroom. So just something for you to think about. Um, I, of course, uh, in the home, I really see this becoming a big deal. Uh, people who are elderly uh, or just need home care, uh, having a robot that can help you uh with your daily chores, for example, could be a great way to keep you in your home a lot longer instead of going to like an assisted living facility or what what have you. So there's that. And there are many, many, many case cases that a person can make where having some type of artificial intelligence slash robot uh, in a household just to remind a person to, you know, take their medication and and uh, uh, clean the house and, you know, take their pet for a walk um, so that the standard of living remains high even if you're at home, at home and you, you yourself cannot maybe take your pet for a walk, but you'd like to have a pet. You know, this would be possible if you have something that can take care of the pet for you. Um, and cook your meals and clean your house and, and uh, you know, take care of snow removal um, or mow the yard. I mean, these things are already becoming more and more possible. Steve and I always talk about the Arbo, of course, and uh, that ability for a yard machine to, you know, move snow, uh, collect your leaves, take your garbage out to the curb, um, mow your yard, all one unit. And you can order that now. Uh, some of the some of the Yarble units aren't available yet. You can pre-order them, uh, but this unit is available to order right now. So you could have a yard robot to take care of those things. Then all you need is somebody that can, or a unit that can come in and wash your clothes and clean your house and cook your food. Well, guess what? Those things are becoming a reality as we speak too. And and the price point of these are not that terrible either. I, I do believe that we're going to start seeing robots for homes that'll be, um, I mean, there are some that are going to be inexpensive and you could make the case that the I, um, the vacuum cleaner, right, running around your house uh, is a robot and it is, 
Uh, but these things are going to become more and more useful in the home, and that price will rise up a little bit. But I don't think it's going to get crazy. I think you're going to be able to get a pretty decent robot for in that ten to fifteen thousand dollar range, which might seem like a lot of money. But the cost of you, you know, um, or a person spending time in an assisted living facility, for example, can be very, very expensive. And you can take that fifteen thousand dollars over the course of a year. And now it's only a thousand or fifteen hundred bucks a month, and you get to live in your home uh, in the way that you're accustomed to, and have this person take care of the things that you can't take care of, or have this. I am already referring to the robot as a person. How about that? Uh, but have this unit take care of the things that you can't take care of. So this is where we're headed to, everybody. You're going to have artificial uh, intelligence robots coming together, and you know, in my opinion, going to make the world a better place. Of course, we always talk about the Terminator scenario. Uh, Steve always brings these things up. And, and uh, of course, our the way we protect ourselves, our countries, warfare, it's all changing as we speak as well. So uh, robots, artificial intelligence are here to stay. And our world is going to be interesting moving forward. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. Tech Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. NASA had quite the day on September 24th. Pretty exciting stuff, actually. Uh, welcome to the Tech Ranch, everybody. This is your guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Kind of going at it solo today. Steve is off uh, doing things uh, probably in the dog world. I know he has a bunch of new puppies and you know, if you know Steve Bakken, he's uh, he's really into that type of thing. Uh, I know nothing about dog shows and all of that and raising them. Uh, it's totally out of my world, but that's what he's busy uh, off doing this weekend. And But anyway, NASA on September 24th, the OSIRIS-REx mission launched in 2016, collected as much as several hundred grams of asteroid material and... It came back on September 24th. It completed its first ever sample return mission from an asteroid uh, with a science capsule containing material from an asteroid landing after having traveled on a 1.2 billion mile journey from the asteroid Bennu. The capsule was released from the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft as it passed by Earth September 24th, entering the atmosphere at around 27,000 miles per hour. So, and the capsule as it landed on Earth is actually, it's actually pretty small. I'm guessing about a a foot and a half high and maybe two, and I'm looking at a picture here. Uh, It's at the knees of somebody uh, at the top of the craft, and it's probably twice as high at the bottom, kind of a triangular-esque type of, um, with a heat shield on the bottom of it. So, uh, and that's, that's the material that it dropped off as it came by. So it's really an interesting project. Um, what does this mean? I mean, they're looking at uh, using this to understand the earliest stages of the solar system. So they're going to be studying that. Uh, I think it might be a little bit more uh, than that as, as I think through what, what just happened with this. It wouldn't surprise me at some time in the future that were mining asteroids. How do you think about that? And, and you know, what kind of materials? I mean, are we going to be able to find gold and, and uh, plutonium? And 
whatever else that we might need on this planet or maybe something else that we don't even have on this planet that is now useful uh, because they can mine it from a an asteroid. So I think that's interesting. You know, I know that there's a lot of talk about, you know, the potential for mining on the moon and in um, and, and our quest to go to Mars. And that makes a lot of sense because if you can mine there, you only have to send the equipment up uh, to mine materials uh, and then send them along the way to Mars instead of having to have them come out of Earth's atmosphere. So there's a big advantage to that. Uh, and of course, uh, getting to Mars, same type of thing. We're going to need materials. We're going to need to be able to mine to, um, you know, create the materials that we need to live there. So there's all kinds of, um, ramifications, I think, with what just happened with this asteroid and us moving forward in space travel. Uh, so I'd, I'd really like to hear your opinion on this too. So you can always reach out at the techranch.com, the techranch.com and post comments there. Love to hear your, your, your thoughts about, you know, why are we capturing materials from asteroids? And the, again, these are just the opinions of this talk show host and, uh, nothing that I am aware of, of people who've talked about this publicly, uh, about I shouldn't say, I guess it has been talked about publicly, but not officially uh, through NASA as to why we are collecting samples from from asteroids. So uh, I think it's interesting, and it could have big ramifications as far as how we're moving forward in space travel. And the one thing I think a lot of people don't know is the ROI from NASA. You know, we always talk about the cost of doing things, the cost of government, for example, and NASA, of course, the National Aeronautic Space Administration is a government-funded project. But I don't think a lot of people know that it's the only government project that we have that has a positive ROI on it. We actually get about 7x return on the money that we put into NASA. So, you know, I'm always uh, being a space nut myself. I'm always like, why don't we put all of our money to, to NASA in this country? And then we could we could uh, take care of the national deficit. We could do all of this stuff because of the ROI that we receive on that. But of course, that wouldn't be true uh, when you start working on budgets of that size. The innovation there's 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 this uh, curve that happens, of course. And uh, but they, NASA does a great job with the money that they get and the ROI that we receive uh, from the exploration uh, and the scientific advances that NASA brings to us is very significant and uh we're going to talk a little bit later about those type of things the the innovations that have been brought forward because of NASA and you're going to be stunned at some of the things that we have on this list that we see uh coming from NASA uh but getting back to the spacecraft now so the science capsule was slowed by parachutes as it came out of the atmosphere and landed in the Department of Defense Utah test and training range at 10:52 a.m. Eastern time. Uh, this is how this is how good they're becoming at landing these crafts. I mean, you think about something that's coming into our atmosphere at 27,000 miles per hour, and then they can hit a target like this, right? It was a landing area chosen as it is the largest restricted airspace in the United States. 
and has been used for previous NASA sample return missions like Genesis and Stardust. The landing area is 36 miles by 8.5 miles, and the entire mission has required a very high level of precision, particularly for a spacecraft to rendezvous with with an asteroid and collect its sample in 2020. So this has been ongoing for seven years. Pretty amazing. Had to go out, land on this asteroid, collect the sample, and then come back and land in this space. I mean, the math involved in doing that just seems just incredible. If it wasn't for the the computers that we have nowadays, might not even be possible. So really, really interesting stuff, uh, how they were able to go out and do this. Um, the, let's see here, anything else interesting in here? Not that that's not interesting in itself. They're also looking for organic compounds. So that's interesting too. Um, important to be clear that the theory is not that life itself arose elsewhere and was delivered to earth, but rather that the basic basic building blocks of life often referred to as organic compounds, could have arrived here billions of years ago, carried by asteroids. So there's that theory that they're checking into as well. Um, So interesting stuff coming out of NASA uh, with the return of the meteor asteroid, I should say, not a meteorite, it was an asteroid, uh, with the containing material from an asteroid. It was actually collected and brought back to us, and it just happened here on the 24th of September. Very, very exciting stuff. And next up, everybody, we're going to be going through this list of what I have that NASA has brought to us, these great, great innovations. You'll want to stay tuned for that. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Welcome to September 30th, 2023 on the National Day Calendar. Today we're exploring the fun of chewing gum and commemorating a significant day of remembrance. Who knew chewing gum has ancient roots with evidence of early humans chewing resin and bark for enjoyment? Huh. From helping to concentrate to freshening breath, the humble chewing gum has become a staple in our daily lives. The story behind it involves invention, taste evolution, and even contributions to art and pop culture. On National Chewing Gum Day, you might want to grab a stick or two and enjoy this simple pleasure that has stuck around for centuries. The West. Big, bold, untamed. This is the heritage of Big Red Chewing Gum. Big Red, with a big, bold taste that makes your mouth come alive. I don't know why, but when I think of bark, I think it's crunchy more than chewy. I never thought about chewing on resin or bark. Must have been sap or something on the back of bark that was chewable, so yeah. Sounds disgusting. Our second recognition takes us to a more somber and reflective place. National Orange Shirt Day is observed in honor of the indigenous children who were sent to residential schools in Canada. This day is inspired by the story of a young girl who had her new orange shirt taken away on her first day of school. 
symbolizing the loss of identity and culture, the orange shirt has become a powerful reminder of the need for reconciliation and understanding. On National Orange Shirt Day, let's take a moment to reflect, learn, and promote awareness of this significant part of history. I really like your orange shirt, Marla. Thank you. Are you able to see it? I mean, it's very bright and blinding. It's like a neon. And, and of course, you're you're downstate a little bit with your your orange shirt. I think this is more subtle. Yes, it, it, is. More, it is more fitting for this day, which I absolutely love that we highlight these type of days. Yeah, understanding history. It's such a beautiful day. It really is. So get your orange shirt on, everybody. Not that neon color, though. Let's not follow. All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> I'm Latoya Johnson. KLXX AM, Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. A last-minute stopgap spending bill introduced in the House. With right-wing holdout members of his own party, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will need Democratic votes to get it passed. But Democrats were given just 25 minutes to review a 71-page bill and make a decision. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries on the floor today. We need a little time to evaluate whether you are trying to slash public school funding. Why are we concerned about whether the Republican majority is trying to slash public school funding? Because you put forth a bill that did just that. And is there a pay raise for Congress tucked somewhere in that bill? Georgia Republican Austin Scott. You heard uh, my colleague from Connecticut tell you that the Republican bill has a pay raise for members of Congress. It's simply not true. The United Auto Workers strike has so far had little impact on car shoppers. But if the walkout drags on through October... Industry analysts say we could see higher prices for both new and used cars. More from ABC News correspondent Alexis Christophers. Another 7,000 United Auto Workers walked off the job Friday, bringing the total number on picket lines to 25,000. The strike now expanded to two more plants, a Ford plant in Chicago that builds the Explorer and Lincoln Aviator and GM's Lansing Delta plant, which assembles the Buick Enclave and Chevy Traverse. The UAW says Stellantis was spared this time, citing progress in talks with the parent of Chrysler. This is the second escalation of strikes that began on September 15th. New York City drying out after one of the wettest days in history. Governor Kathy Hochul. This event was historic. In some areas, it was record-shattering. And it is the most rain ever recorded in a single day at a place like JFK, ever. 8.65 inches of rain there, but no lives lost. This is ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With weather, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, sunshine and a little breezy. Highs in the mid-70s. Tonight, mostly cloudy, 62. Mostly sunny, breezy, 82 for Sunday. For Monday, mostly sunny, a high near 70. Showers and thunderstorms from Monday night into Tuesday. Lows in the mid-50s and highs in the low 60s. Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce is made from an original family recipe. Get it at grandpasbbqshop.com. Right now, 71 degrees. This is McGruff the Crime Dog, and I need you to help me take a bite out of crime. Counterfeit products are popping up everywhere. If you think buying them is harmless, think again. Counterfeits are usually made with hazardous and even lethal ingredients that could harm you and others. And the money you've paid, it goes right into the hands of criminals. Remember, if you don't know where the products came from, how could you know where the money goes? You're smart. Buy smart. Go for real. Learn more at McGruffPSA.org. 
This message is brought to you by the United States Patent and Trademark Office and the National Crime Prevention Council. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook. Super Talk 1270. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. Staying with our theme of space... We're going to be talking about the top 30 NASA inventions we use today. How about that? There's a lot more than 30, but these are the top 30. Thanks for joining the Tech Ranch, everybody. This is your guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So excited to have you with us today. And let's see here. So we're going to get right into it because there's 30 of them. Uh, so number, and these are fascinating, and you're going to be amazed at how many of these items you use in your everyday life. So 30 on the list is athletic shoes. A shock-absorbent rubber molding designed for astronauts' helmets inspired what is now a common component of the soles of modern athletic shoes. So it's the lining in the rubber molding for astronauts' helmets that we now wear on our feet for athletic shoes. Isn't that something? Love these, love these integrations. 29 on the list, and everybody, everybody has used this. It's the computer mouse. So the story is, while searching for a way to increase interaction with onboard computers and allow users to perform tasks like manipulate data, NASA project manager Bob Taylor granted funding to Stanford researcher Doug Eaglebart, who developed the first mouse. So who knew that NASA was behind how we basically navigate every computer in the world. Isn't that amazing? Number 28 on the list, modern food safety guidelines. In the 60s, 1960s, the Pillsbury Company and U.S. Army Laboratories teamed up with NASA to provide pathogen-free food for upcoming space space missions. Pillsbury then adopted the safety protocol system used by NASA and was subsequently tasked with training FDA food inspectors using the hazard analysts and critical control points system. So the food systems or the food safety systems we have in place today are basically a combination of Pillsbury Company, U.S. Army Laboratories, and NASA. Amazing. The fact that Pillsbury was involved in there too. Was a Pillsbury Doughboy involved in that, I wonder? Interesting. Number 27 on the list is LEDs. LEDs, the lights that we are becoming more and more accustomed to having around with us, intended to be used for growing plants aboard space shuttles and regulating astronaut sleep cycles. NASA's work with LED, light-emitting diode technology, has been utilized in the development of LED medical devices that relax muscles and relieve pain in soldiers, cancer patients, and those with Parkinson's disease. And, of course, now... We use them for lighting everywhere because of the low cost uh, or the, the uh, lower amount of electricity and the better light that we have. The Because the, the fluorescence, of course, always flickered and all that stuff. 
The only challenge I have with LEDs, I have a couple in my home, a couple spots in my home. They always seem to burn out. And I need to check that out. There's like one above the uh, the door that we use to go in and out to our garage. That light bulb always seems to burn out. And then in our chandelier above our table, our dining room table, those lights, there's like 12 of them in that thing. And they're always seeming, I always seem to be replacing those things. They flicker for a while and then they burn out. So there's got to be something about the adaptation of LED into standard light bulb stuff. I don't know, but uh, I get a little frustrated with that, actually, as you can tell. Number 26, portable computers. The first portable computer, the Grig Compass, was used on multiple shuttle missions in the 1980s. Nicknamed Spock, S-P-O-C, little Star Trek reference there, shuttle portable onboard computer, the computer could communicate with onboard devices and was used to launch satellites off space shuttles. There you go, the first portable computer, first laptop right there coming out of NASA. 28, or 25, excuse me, on the list is ice-resistant airplanes. Ice is a real threat for shuttles in space, and NASA has devised multiple electronic solutions to prevent ice formation on spacecraft exteriors. Some of these are now used on commercial aircraft. So who knew, right? Interesting. 24 on the list of 30. So these are inventions, if you're just joining us, inventions that NASA has brought forward that we use in our everyday life. And this is amazing. We were just talking about how of all the government-funded programs in the United States, NASA has a positive ROI. They usually have, they have about a 7x return so they make $7 for every $1 uh, that we invest into NASA. And it's because of all these innovations that happen. Number 24 on the list is infrared ear thermometers. The infrared ear thermometer, which allow for instant temperature capture without the risk of cross-infection, utilize the same technology developed for assessing the temperature of distant planets. Isn't that something? So they were able to use this technology to assess what the temperature of a planet is, and now we use it as a thermometer uh, that they just insert in the air, and that's your temperature. Pretty amazing. I remember the days when you had to put a thermometer in your mouth and hold it there for eight minutes or whatever it was. Number 23 on the list is insulation. Seeking heat shields for Apollo spacecrafts and spacesuits, NASA and their, contract and their contractors began experimenting with thin, lightweight, reflective, radiant barriers. Their advances in radiant barrier insulation have been applied to commercial products such as camping gear, building insulation, and clothing. Amazing. And I'm sure we've all seen the the insulation that's wrapped in kind of this foil, um, and that, that actually helps with the process of insulating a home or a building or our clothes. 22 on the list, resistance-based workout machines. Because traditional weightlifting machines don't work in zero gravity, NASA sought a way for astronauts to maintain muscle tone while res using resistance-based workout equipment. Funding the work, Paul Francis, inventor of a resistance-based weightlifting system called Spiraflex, NASA got what they were looking for, and Francis's work was later incorporated into the Bullflex revolution. Interesting, isn't it? A quieter, safer, more compact home gym than traditional weight and cable machines. So Bullflex and NASA. Always interesting what you find out, isn't it? 
Number 21 on the list, memory foam. Memory foam was originally invented as a pad for astronaut seats that would mold to their bodies during the high forces of takeoff and landing, then return to a neutral state. This eliminated the need to customize seats to individual astronauts' bodies. Memory foam. And now we use it everywhere. Memory foam beds, memory foam chairs. You see it everywhere. So, very cool. Very cool indeed. I think I'm sitting on a, on a chair right now that has memory foam built into it. Number 20 on the list of the 30 top NASA inventions that we still use today. Air purifiers. In the sealed artificial environment of a spacecraft, attempts to grow plants have led to the death, the buildup of ethylene, which hastens decay. NASA invented an air purifier for the International Space Station that is now widely used on Earth, everywhere from restaurants to hospitals to refrigerators, to remove ethylene as well as other particulates and pathogens. So air purifiers, which as you can see, is used a lot in restaurants, hospitals, refrigerators. Um, Not your typical air purifier. Um, It's used to remove these particular particulates and pathogens, but uh, very, very cool stuff. Number 19, I always love telling this story, grooved pavement. And we've all experienced this as you're driving down and you're coming up on a, on a stop sign, for example, and you go to, or you go off to the side of the road a little bit and you get that little rumble, rumble strips, right? Um, that's what this is. While searching for ways to increase safety during shuttle landings, NASA scientists discovered that cutting grooves into the highway, or excuse me, grooves into the runway, help channel water and significantly reduce hydroplaning. Many highways and airports now have grooved pavement. So there you go. And I guess the grooved pavement that I'm referring to, the rumble strips, I bet you are still coming up. I didn't realize that there was actually a different name for that. So this is actually more for channeling water and reducing hydroplaning. Okay. I was mistaken. I was getting ahead of myself here. Life shears is number 18 on the list. The pyrotechnic mechanism used to detach a space shuttle from its rocket boosters after launching is the same used in life shears, but on a smaller scale. Life shears are a tool that can be utilized in emergency situations to cut into cars or collapse buildings to rescue people trapped inside. So the life shears that we see being utilized to save people is the same, just a smaller version of... um a pyrotechnic mechanism that's used in space shuttles. Amazing, right? 17 on the list. This is going to blow a lot of people away. Baby formula. A nutritious algae-based vegetable oil invented by NASA scientists who were searching for a recycling agent to use during long space missions, during long space missions, is now an additive in many infant formulas. It contains two essential fatty acids that cannot be synthesized by the human body. How interesting is that? Baby formula would not exist if it wasn't for NASA. 16 on the list of 30, again, things that we use every day, CAT scans. NASA's digital signal technology originated, excuse me, originally used to recreate images of the moon during Apollo missions during Apollo missions is the underlying technology that makes CAT scans and MRIs possible. How about that? So they've had impacts into our healthcare as well. 
15 on the list of 30. Cell phone cameras. In the 1990s, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory invented a light miniature imaging system that required little energy in order to take high-quality photographs from space. This this technology has become standard in cell phone and computer cameras. Isn't that amazing? Those sensors that are used uh, were invented by NASA, and we use it all the time, right? All the time. Using them all the time. All right, well, we're going to have to continue our list of the top 30 inventions uh, right after our very next break. Thanks for being with us, everybody. This is the Tech Ranch, and you're listening uh, to the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. The Tech Ranch. Ranch. Let's rejoin Marlo and Steve as they guide us through the fascinating world of technology. And we're talking about the top 30 inventions that we still use every day by NASA. And we've covered uh, 30 to 15. And up next is number 14. And I'm excited to hear what the rest of these are, that's for sure. I'm learning this as I'm going along with you today. Uh, So that's kind of fun. And hopefully I can uh, open my screen back up here. Here we go. Okay, so number 14 on the list is freeze-dried foods. Freeze-dried foods. In preparation for the Apollo missions, NASA utilized a freeze-drying technique preferred by or perfected by by Nestle. There we go. NASA utilized a freeze-drying technique perfected by Nestle to bring food to 20% of its original weight while managing to retain 98% of the food's nutritional value. So the goal was to make it 20% of the weight but retain 98% of the food's nutritional value. That's quite a lofty goal that they obviously met. But thanks to Nestle, you know, they make pretty good chocolate too, I've heard. Just saying. 13 on the list, invisible braces. After NASA and Ceridine researchers discovered that polycrystalline alumina can protect radar equipment without blocking the radar's signal as it tracks heat-seeking missiles, Unitech Corporation 3M teamed up with Ceridine using the material to invent invisible braces for teeth. Well, that's right. Let's look at this and say, you know what? We can use this to use radar signals, radar signals to track heat-seeking missiles, but you know what this material could also do? It could fix teeth. I have no idea how that conversation happened, but quite amazing that NASA and Ceridine had built that. And again, I love this this collaboration between NASA and private enterprise. Twelve on the list. This is a fun one, too. Airplane winglets. So I don't know if you know what airplane winglets are, but you know at the end of, um, usually on large commercial planes, but but you see those on, on privates as well, where they kind of bend up at the end. And uh, in the 1970s, as part of their aircraft energy efficiency program, NASA began experimenting with winglets. These are the vertical tips placed at the end of airplane wings or aircraft wings to help reduce drag. Winglets are now ubiquitous on commercial jets and help increase fuel efficiency and reduce carbon dioxide emissions. So NASA, responsible for that. And that makes a little sense to me because you see NASA, you know, obviously they have to go through the air to get to where they're going. So there's that. And uh, fuel efficiency, a big part of what they do as well. 
So a lot of things that, a lot of synergy there between aircraft, between NASA and all other aircraft. Let's see. Number 11 on the list. Number 11 on the list is wireless headsets. And I know that wireless headsets, and we're going to get into this shortly because we're going to get into what Star Trek had envisioned or the vision of Star Trek and and what, what inventions came of that. This is one of them. So a little, uh, a little advanced warning as to what we're getting into a little bit, but uh, Star Trek envisioned wireless headsets. You probably remember Uhura wearing them. In fact, I think the, one of the very first episodes. So along with two airplane pilots who invented a prototype of a wireless headset, NASA built a light hands-free communications system that would allow astronauts to communicate with teams on Earth. The technology was utilized in the Mercury and Apollo missions. So very early on, they had already invented these uh, headsets. So, um, yeah, and, and of course, nowadays, I'm wearing a wireless headset right now. So they're used everywhere. Uh, you see them, I mean, if you're listening to music or, you know, communicating, in fact, even the earbuds that we utilize nowadays um, were derived from headsets originally. Interesting stuff. 10. Better tires. After the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company invented the material used in NASA's Viking Lander parachute shrouds. So, just to back up, Goodyear Tire and Rubber invented the material used in NASA's Viking Lander parachute shrouds. So, the parachutes themselves, right? The company began using it in its everyday radial tires. The material is stronger than steel and adds thousands of miles of life to tires. Another great collaboration between NASA and a private company, or a commercial company, or corporate, or whatever you want to say. Number nine, water filtration. In the 1970s, NASA developed filtration systems that utilized iodine and cartridge filters to ensure that astronauts had access to safe, tasteless water. This filtering technology is now used around the world to purify water in at-risk communities. How many lives do you think this has saved? Pretty impressive. Number eight on the list is solar cells. So out of the need to increase the efficiency of the energy systems aboard the International Space Station, NASA has helped invent and improve photovoltaic cells, sharing the advancements with other companies to accelerate the technology. So NASA has its hands on solar cell development, photovoltaic cells. So really, really interesting, of course. My keyword for the day again, interesting. Uh, they need to have a way to, to create energy, create electricity on board these systems that they have in space. Solar is the obvious choice, and they continue to refine and develop and improve solar cells. And, and uh, uh, as a result, we're seeing more and more solar power on Earth. And in fact, there's another segment that we're going to get into soon about that delivery of power uh, from solar to earth via space, which is very, very fascinating as well. Next on the list, number seven is shock absorbers for buildings. What shock absorber for buildings? Are you kidding me? So 
Shock absorbers designed to protect equipment during space shuttle launches are now used to protect bridges and buildings in areas prone to earthquakes. So, saving lives again, NASA. Just telling you. Six on the list, laser eye surgery. Technology used to track astronauts' eyes in space, originally intended to assess how a human's frame of reference is affected by weightlessness, has become essential for use during laser eye surgery. This device tracks a patient's eye position while the surgeon operates. So laser eye surgery is possible because of technology developed by NASA. Gotta love it. Gotta love it, everybody. Next on that list, and we're going to run out of time here, so I'm going to be pretty quick with the rest of these. Five is the Dust Buster. During the Apollo moon landings, NASA partnered with Black & Decker to invent various battery-powered tools for drilling and taking rock samples in space. This led to the creation of the ultralight compact cordless Dust Buster. Who knew? Number four on the list, firefighting equipment. The polymer textiles created for use in spacesuits have been a valuable... Uh, asset in creating flame-retardant, heat-resistant suits for firefighters. Newer suits also feature circulating coolant to keep firefighters from succumbing to heat and advanced breathing systems modeled after astronaut life support systems. So a lot of that gear that firefighters wear have been modeled after astronaut suits and, of course, inspired by NASA. Number three on the list. Three on the list is insulin pumps. And uh, number two on the list, I'm just doing this because we're running out of time, scratch-resistant lenses. They partnered with Foster Grant, NASA did, to build scratch-resistant plastic coatings, which comprise most sunglass and eyeglass uh, lenses. And number one on the list is artificial limbs. Artificial limbs because of inventions coming from NASA. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. Ranch, where technology comes alive. Let's dive back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. And don't forget to check out thetechranch.com for more. It is hard to believe that it's 57 years since Star Trek came on the air. And I don't know, as I, as I was reading off the inventions from NASA, Steve and I always talk about this, right? That uh, all the inventions that come to us because of movies, television, what have you, and at the top of those lists are either James Bond, 007 movies, and Star Trek. So I thought after going through the list of the things that NASA has actually made possible, we'll go through the list that Star Trek has visioned and maybe even had impact on in building things out. So. It's really interesting. So on September 8th, 1966, NBC aired the first episode of a new TV series about a starship on a five-year mission of space exploration. Uh, so, And that was September 8th, 1966. So just over 57 years ago. And 700 and... Let's see here. Some of this information is a little dated, so I won't read some of that stuff right there. But a lot of ideas came from the show, uh, and it's influenced, you know, cited for influencing scientists. Uh, so others like uh, transparent aluminum are things even Mr. Spock couldn't have seen coming. 
these are, I'm just reading from through some of the things here, but so there's this list is not in any type of order from 30 to one or anything like that. It is just a list. And at the very, the very first thing on the list is tablet computers. And what would our, what would our world be like if we didn't have tablet computers? And, and it's possible, of course, that these things would have come along anyway. But the fact that they were visioned in a TV series, science fiction TV series that, you know, showed people using these and what have you, I'm sure inspired somebody along the way uh, to actually come up with a way to utilize tablets and, and actually probably even the precursor to um, our phones that we use today. I remember using some tablet-esque type of things even back in the 90s. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of that tablet that I had, actually. It was really way before its time, and it was a Microsoft product. I remember that, and it's not a Surface. Um, hmm. I'll come up with the name of that here in a little while. But anyway, uh, um, just so you know, I mean, tablets, tablet computers, first envisioned by Star Trek. Tractor beams. So this is interesting, and it's interesting to me because I'm just looking it up right now. I always thought that this was a thing that wasn't possible, but I am reading through right now, and they are working on tractor beams. We have scientists that are working on tractor beams. 2016, Rice University scientists discovered that Tesla coils can generate force fields able to manipulate matter. 2018, a research team from Tel Aviv University, uh, led by Dr. Alan Bahabad, uh, experimentally demonstrated an optical analog of the famous Archimedes screw where the rotation of a, I'm reading way, things way above my pay grade here too. So I'm not going to bore you with all of this stuff. Um, with the optical screw, particles were easily conveyed with controlled velocity, velocity and direction upstream and downstream of the optical flow over half a centimeter away. So it's not this like we're going long distances or whatever here, but they are actually working and making this happen. And what a breakthrough that would be if, uh, in fact, in this article, they talk about how Star Trek has inspired the scientists to work towards this. Isn't this something? And wouldn't that be something? Never have the tow rope again to tow somebody's car down the road, right? Um, tricorders. Tricorders are on the list. And I've actually seen this in action. There's a company that I interviewed at CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, about three or four years ago, and they had a tricorder-esque type of device, and they would hold it over you, and they would get your um, heartbeat, um, and it's, it's the, the device is called Scanadu, S-C-A-N-A-D-U. I do not know where or the you know how they're doing right now but at the time they were working on a system very much like a tricorder that you would just hold over your body you could scan for vitals and do all this stuff without having to put any sensors or anything on the body so they were working towards this 
And I thought that the technology, even at that time, was amazing. So there are products that are coming out uh, that are around that tricorder type of thing, and it will change the way we do medicine in a very dramatic way. Uh, flip communicators or communicators <laughs> and wearable badge communicators. You could say that, uh, I mean, there's no doubt that when you've seen James T. Kirk, you know, flip open that that uh, communicator to talk to the Enterprise, uh, that that was certainly a precursor to the flip phones that we were using and still use today. There's still a lot of people that still like to use the flip phone and not have a, a 100% smart device. They just want a phone to communicate. Uh, is interesting. Badge communicators the same way. These are becoming more and more commonplace. You could make the argument that even your your watch is a badge communicator. It's something that you wear. Uh, I talk to people on my watch all the time. So really, really interesting. Uh, hyposprays. Hyposprays are a thing and uh, becoming more and more popular all the time. And it's another medical uh, type of scenario. Replicators. And I want to click on this. Let's see. NASA wants kids to use replicators to design space food. So there's there are things in the work to replicate food items. And you could probably make the argument not not like a replicator on Star Trek The Next Generation uh, type where you walk up to a computer and say, hey, I want a you know, steak well done with baked potatoes or whatever, and it makes it for you. But we're getting closer to that. It's, it's, uh, we're certainly with 3D printers, for example, able to create food items. Most of them are probably dessert type of things right now, like chocolate and cake frostings and things like that. But we're getting closer and closer to making other type of foods, uh, which is interesting as well. Another thing on the list is cloak. Cloaking devices, um, there's a process uh, being worked on right now, an ultra-thin cloth uh, that's a real-life invisible cloak, invisibility cloak. So that's interesting and, again, inspired by um, Star Trek. This one is huge, the voice interface computers. So all you have to do is think of Hello Siri or Alexa or Hey Google, and now you're you're interfacing with a device. And of course, any Star Trek show that you watch from the very first episode on, they would always say computer, um, and the computer would be there to help them along. And certainly was the vision for how we use computers today. These voice interactive type of scenarios. These are life-saving things. These are um, entertainment devices. Uh, these are having information at our fingertips type of, of uh, instruments. There's so much that we do with voice nowadays, and it's only going to increase as artificial intelligence, robots, all that stuff are coming uh, to light here. So um, very interesting as well that Star Trek was the first to envision that, that we would actually have devices that we would be talking to that would respond to us. Crazy, just crazy. Um, transparent aluminum. And I, I always laugh about that scene in, in Star Trek, the movie. Um, I think it was 
number four with the whales, if I remember right, when 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 they go back in time and and Spock needs to have uh, a way to bring the whales back to the um, timeline that they're in, and they're going to build this into the spaceship, and they needed something to house all this water, so he, he gave this formula to this scientist to make transparent aluminum, and now we have it. <laughs> just like, it's crazy. That's just a crazy scenario. Um, Bluetooth headsets. So Uhura had the first one. So how about that? A Bluetooth headset. Uh, inspired, and of course, that was then later brought into um, NASA, and they had to figure out a way to use these headsets, you know, for astronauts, right? Yeah, so that was that's interesting as well, and again, inspired by Star Trek, uh, Google Glass, and Google Glass is probably the precursor to a lot of augmented reality things that we are seeing nowadays. You put on um, or you hold up your smart device to something and you know, like a wine bottle, for example, and then you get a history lesson on a particular thing or you hold it up to a logo and, and the logo comes to life um, or you hold it up to a restaurant uh, sign when you're walking down the street and it'll give you today's specials. I mean, all of this stuff. Was is is being made possible because of these technologies around augmented reality and Google Glass uh, was the you know was inspired by this type of technology that we would see with Star Trek uh, portable memory. So who would have thought of this? But also inspired by Star Trek uh, floppy disks to USB sticks that we use nowadays to you know the little memory chips that we put in our computers. That was actually inspired by Star Trek. This ability to move information one from one place to the other uh, without a network. So I, I find that fascinating as well. Focused ultrasound technology. Also, uh, Star Trek medical device uses ultrasound to seal punctured lungs. Inspired by Star Trek. How about that? Biometric data tracking for health and verifying identity. So, okay, so th- this gets into an area that I, I have some challenges with, with biometrics and facial recognition and all of that stuff. But there's there's advantages to this. There's certainly advantages as far as safety goes, uh, but inspired by Star Trek as well. And I've I've been using a lot of this technology as I travel. When you travel through airports now, there's more and more facial recognition going on there. Uh, for for good or not, you know, I know there's a lot of privacy issues with this, and I'm on the fence about it myself. Just so you know, I have a a, a little bit of a challenge that that uh, like Delta, for example, knows that I'm in an airport and I have the app on my phone because I'm flying Delta, and they're using my facial recognition to guide me through an airport. Convenient, yes. The fact that they know where I'm at at all times, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, but it is, it's still an interesting technology nonetheless and brought to us by Star Trek again as well. Um, automatic doors. So the automatic doors, when they would open up, when, when Kirk would go through a door in the Enterprise and open up, inspired by Star Trek, uh, which is kind of cool as well. Big screen displays. So that big screen that you see at the front of the Enterprise when they're talking to aliens and all of that, because at the time when you think about this, the screens that we would watch even Star Trek on were 19-inch screens. That was a big 
television, a 19-inch telephone. It was expensive as all get-out, too. I remember when I bought my first 27-inch television and, and had to take a loan out to buy this television. And I'm not saying that people don't still take loans out or use their credit cards to buy the TVs that they buy nowadays, but probably not for a 40-inch TV that costs $200. Or they would borrow money maybe for the $2,000 one that, that's a 100-inch screen, right? It's just amazing how the cost of these things have come down, of course, but inspired again by Star Trek. Real-time universal translators. One of my favorite topics is this. And uh, I've been I've interviewed a few people at CES. Of course, your phone has this built into it now. So if you travel, you can actually use a universal translator to help you communicate with somebody. And I'll be using this in Tokyo here in just a few weeks, as a matter of fact, so I can translate. Uh, but they have devices too. That's what they specialize in. You can carry these things along with you, and they do translation for you. You can use it to read menus and signs and all kinds of great stuff. The Universal Translator, in my opinion, is one of the greatest inventions that have come out of Star Trek. And we'll be back with the Tech Ranch right after this. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. We're thrilled to have you with us as we continue exploring living with technology alongside Marlo and Steve. Have you ever thought about what a phone would look like that's different than what we have now? And where you hold it up to your ear, um, talk on it, you use the device because it has a screen um, to work with apps, navigate, all of those type of things, right? Hey everybody, you're, you're Johnny Marlowe Anderson, the guru of geek on the Tech Ranch. Appreciate y'all being here today. So this is really interesting. Details have emerged about a plan uh, for Johnny Ive, that's J-O-N-Y-I-V-E, and OpenAI's plan to build the iPhone of artificial intelligence. So Johnny Ive was very instrumental in the first iPhone. And he's the former chief design officer at Apple. And OpenAI has recruited him. So OpenAI, by the way, so it's, you know, is is the platform where Dolly, uh, the image creator, first emerged late last year. And then, of course, ChatGPT. So this is who OpenAI is. And they're looking at creating a smart device, a phone, that uses artificial intelligence. So they want it to be a more natural and intuitive user experience to interact with artificial intelligence. So I'm not sure what that really looks like right now, and they're... I'm sure they I'm sure they have ideas about how this is going to look. They already have a billion dollars in funding. One billion with a b um to possibly make this possible uh i have johnny i've said that um he hasn't been a fan of smartphones because they can that he believes they're causing compulsive behavior they're addictive all of this stuff and he's not happy with that so this is why he's signing up to do this um he has some experience in well, so Altman, who's the founder of OpenAI, uh, has some experience in in developing hardware, 
around this too. So, and, and especially in, I guess I'm reading as I'm talking to you, and I apologize for that. Uh, so they're combining a lot of stuff here, which uh, they're developing a screenless wearable AI device that's designed to replace smartphones. So I'm not really sure what that means. I mean, is this going to be a device that you clip onto your your shirt that then you can just talk to and say, hey, um, I want to go to my favorite coffee shop, and it'll just talk to you and navigate to you, maybe wear a little earpiece with that. So if you need to make a phone call, you just say, hey, um, you know, make call call my buddy, call my work, um, you know, add uh, maybe if it gets close to somebody else's device, you can add phone numbers that way. Uh, basically, you're going to be talking to this device. I have no idea how else this would work. And because it's connected, it has all that that information uh, behind it already. So this is something to watch. It really is. They're comparing this to how iPhone helped revolutionize the interaction with the mobile Internet because of touchscreen technology. So you have to think about that. I mean, you know, what would your phone be like if it didn't have a touchscreen on it? And I remember the first time I had my very first smart device. I had it. I just got it right before Christmas. And I was asking everybody at the Christmas uh, Eve gathering to make a phone call on this device. And, of course, there are no buttons on it. It's just this flat screen. And nobody could even figure out how to turn it on and much less make a phone call on it. It was hilarious to watch. But now those same people wouldn't even hardly know what to do with a regular phone anymore because they're so used to the apps and everything else that come on a smart device, right? So this is how groundbreaking, I guess I could say, that this new technology is going to be because I'm sure it's going to be a lot smaller, a lot easier to take along with you, probably consume a lot less energy. Um, I don't know how people are going to feel about not having screens on their devices, right? Because how how does it work without that? It means that you have to interact with it uh, all the time. So if you're in a busy subway or on an airplane or whatever, um, you know, we're very used to using our device to keep us entertained when we're standing in line someplace. Uh, maybe there's a combination where you you know, have a device that you carry with you, but maybe you don't need to, you know, have it out all the time. Uh, or when you're travel, you maybe have a device that's used for traveling. So you have that screen with you for movies and that type of thing. But for everyday life, you just have this, this unit that you carry with you that you just talk to. It's interesting, right? And I think, you know, when you think about how that could change the way that we do things, uh, it's it's significant, and I know I get tired of carrying my my smart device with me all the time. I think it's cumbersome. I forget it everywhere. I do. I forget it everywhere. I'll be at a restaurant. I forget it on the table. I'll forget it in the car. I leave it on my work desk all the time. It must be telling me something, you know. But it's because I have to pick it up, put it in my pocket, do all this other stuff. Right? There's a way I can clip something to me, and I'm I'm that way. I'm connected. And uh, and I'm sure there'll be ways that it'll, it can take pictures and, and do all those other things that you do, too. There'll be a lot of things that I can't do. You know, I won't be able to because you need to have that visual part of that. But there will be a lot of things that it can do. You know, you can use voice to text to send people messages nowadays. 
And there's just so much that can be done. And of course, having that artificial intelligence there with you too, generative AI, the ability to ask questions and have answers and and, uh, have it safeguard you, have it remind you of things. I mean, all that is possible with this. So it'll be really, really interesting, which I guess is my big word for the day, interesting, to see where this technology takes us. And I'm probably one of those that will enjoy having a smaller footprint of a device on me. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know how you feel about that. Uh, and because everything's miniaturized already, you know, the the ability to, you know, if you have a, a song library that you carry with you that you're not streaming, for example, maybe you have a hundred favorite songs or a thousand favorite songs. So that ability to integrate to your car uh, or other devices for entertainment will be easy. And, and of course, with the screens and, and cars nowadays, you know, maybe if you had this uh, little device that you carry with you powered by artificial intelligence that then connects to the screen in your television or in your car, I'm really thinking through things here a little bit. I've seen cars now where the tablets come out where they can move with you and then you lock them into place when you go into your car, right? Wouldn't that be interesting that when you need a screen, you can borrow the screen from your car, but the brains, the technology behind it is the wearable piece that you have with you. Uh, that could be very interesting, and I'm sure I'm not the only person thinking about that, uh, that that would be the integration, for a lot of people anyway, would be the automobile, the screen that you have in there. Because if, you if you've driven a Tesla or anything that's late model, uh, in the last couple of years, they all have screens. And um, Tesla was at the forefront of that. And now you have these big screens on all of these cars um, to be used for navigation. And and basically, it's the dashboard. So anyway, be looking for that, this artificial intelligence, this brand new phone coming to you from, from uh, OpenAI, the founders of ChatGPT. Keep your eyes open for that. And you're listening to the Tech Ranch. If you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 1270. This is Outdoor Issues with Mia Roberts and North Dakota Game and Fish Outreach Biologist Greg Gullickson. Fall is officially here, not just on the calendar, but also with our outdoor weather and scenery, Greg. A great time of year, right? Absolutely. You know, and it's not time to quite put the boat away yet. Still some fall fishing opportunities, but we've got a lot of seasons that are open now. I've been noticing lately a lot of morning doves and our upland game seasons are open too, especially for partridge or grouse. The big one is still coming up. That would be the pheasant opener, but both grouse and partridge numbers are up and boy, those partridge out there. I've been noticing bigger broods and a lot more broods out there. So some great opportunities to get after a covey of partridge. The waterfall season is open for 
residents as well. We had our youth waterfall opener and kicking off in a few days would be the youth pheasant weekend. And that's slated for September 30th and October 1st. So a lot of great times to be had in the outdoors in North Dakota in the fall. And even if you're not a hunter or an angler or a trapper, boy, the fall foliage right now is just amazing, especially when you get into some of these riparian areas. Just get out and enjoy that crisp fall air. All right, good stuff, Greg. And hey, more on fall when we come back. Brad Germanson, Extreme Bronc Riding, the greatest bronc riding event ever, is coming to Four Bears. Join us for two days of unparalleled action and excitement in this PRCA-sanctioned event, October 6th and 7th. After each night of bronc action, there will be free live entertainment in the Pocket Aces Lounge. And don't forget to visit the Four Bears Sportsbook, where you can place bets on all the action. Tickets on sale now at fourbearscasino.com or purchase at the gate. Extreme Bronc Riding and Sportsbook Betting at Four Bears. See there. At Trinity Health, we're dedicated to helping people do more. We're here with exceptional physicians and specialists committed to your well-being. We deliver the latest advances in cancer, heart, orthopedic, neurosurgical, and women's medicine. In emergencies, our Level 2 Trauma Center is ready with life-saving care. Together, we're doing more so you can enjoy all the promise of a lifetime lived well. Trinity Health, making more possible. To learn more, visit makingmorepossible.com. Talking fall hunting and activities today on Outdoor Issues. And Greg, you touched on it before the break, only a few weeks away from the pheasant season, fall migration for waterfowl, and the deer gun season inching closer. Yeah, that's right. The big one for a lot of us in North Dakota would be that pheasant opener coming up. And just encourage people to get your gear ready. Maybe do some practice right now. That deer gun season is creeping up on us as well. So get those rifles set in, get your orange ready. All right, good stuff, Greg, and that'll bring this report to a close. If you missed one, check us on the website, OutdoorIssues.com. Until next time, I'm Neil Roberts. You've been listening to Outdoor Issues, brought to you in part by Four Bears Casino and Lodge near Newtown, North Dakota, by Trinity Health, making more possible, and by Bones Barbecue, Smokehouse, and Grill in Minot, now catering. From America's number one travel radio show, I'm Robert Carey, and this is your RM World Travel Minute. Aloha from Maui, everyone. Mary and I returned to this beautiful island earlier this week, and despite what you hear from the mainstream media, Maui is open for business, and the locals are eager for you to come visit. You know, the fires that tragically destroyed much of Lahaina, they can't be undone by any of us, but the reason we felt it was so important to bring our popular national program back here to the island was to help create some meaningful change. The loss of homes, businesses, and life would be significantly made worse if Maui now also lost its number one source of revenue, travel and tourism. This week, as part of a very special Let's Go America Tour Maui, we've been volunteering with churches and local organizations on the island, but Mary and I have also made it a point to enjoy the many things still waiting for you to experience, including great beaches, boating, surfing and snorkeling, state and national parks, all the shops, great restaurants, farmers markets, and of course the people and all the natural beauty. Join us as we broadcast live from the Waldorf Astoria Grand Wailea Resort on Saturday from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Time, and we'll share ways you can impact Maui yourself. AM Mandan Bismarck, a Town Square media station, broadcasting from the View Community Credit Union Studio. Here's the latest from ABC News. I'm Dave Packer. The House passing Speaker McCarthy's last-minute plan to avert a government shutdown. On this vote, the yeas are 335, the nays are 91. 
two-thirds being in the affirmative, the rules are suspended. The bill is passed, and without objection, the motion to reconsider is laid on the table. The stopgap funding bill required Democratic support to pass. And because approval of that bill was bipartisan, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell telling his fellow senators to vote against the aversion of a bill. Under these circumstances, I'm recommending a no vote. Even though I very much want to avoid a government shutdown. Meanwhile, back in the House, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries blasted the Speaker and the GOP this afternoon. The nerve of even threatening a catastrophic default in and of itself highlights the extremism that has permeated this chamber from the beginning. No support today from Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene saying before the vote. Yeah, I'm voting against it because I'm not going to be part of a system of failure. And the United States Congress, with the way its calendar is set up, with with its uh, August break, September break, and the September 30th deadline, this is an absolute system of failure, and I refuse to be a part of it. Today's continuing resolution funds the government for the next 45 days. Many of the Republicans who voted against the bill to end the shutdown didn't like that it allocated more money to Ukraine. But campaigning in Iowa today, Republican presidential hopeful and former Vice President Mike Pence said he backs continued U.S. support for Ukraine, and he blamed President Biden for not doing more to defend that assistance. Ukraine is not our war, but freedom is our fight, and giving them the resources for the weapons to be able to continue to fight and not just hold the line, but defeat that Russian military, I believe is in our direct and vital national interest. You're listening to ABC News. Super Talk 1270, Bismarck Area Weather. With weather, I'm Corey Hartman. For today, sunshine and a little breezy. Highs in the mid-70s. Tonight, mostly cloudy, 62. Mostly sunny, breezy, 82 for Sunday. For Monday, mostly sunny, a high near 70. Showers and thunderstorms from Monday night into Tuesday. Lows in the mid-50s and highs in the low 60s. Grandpa's Barbecue Sauce is made from an original family recipe. Get it at grandpasbbqshop.com. It's 73 at our studios. The next greatest generation is now. By joining the North Dakota Army National Guard, you continue to live life with your goals in mind. Whether choosing to go to school or work at your chosen profession, your service in the North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to build your future your way. The North Dakota Army National Guard allows you to serve your community and your nation while enjoying life right here at home. Live here serve here. Join the North Dakota Army National Guard today. Talk of the Town with Steve Bakken. Weekday morning starting at 9 on Super Talk 1270 and the free Super Talk 1270 mobile app. Portions of the following program are pre-recorded. Welcome to the Tech Ranch, where we explore the world of living with technology. Get ready to take a deep dive into the latest gadgets, apps, and innovations with your hosts, the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson, and his trusty co-host, Steve Botkin. Join us on this exciting journey, and don't forget to visit thetechranch.com for even more exclusive content. Now, without further ado, let's welcome Marlo and Steve to the Tech Ranch. And welcome back to the Tech Ranch, everybody. This is your guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. So excited to have you with us today. When I say us, I mean me. Steve, off doing dog show things today. So I hope hope he's winning the Best in Show. Isn't that the name of the actual movie, Best in Show? I can see Steve being part of that, actually. But good luck to you, Steve. I hope things are going well today. Uh, 
So we're having just a, a solo conversation. And next up on in my bag of things to talk about, solar-powered airship will circle the world nonstop without fuel. So this is... I, I don't even know how to tell you how I feel about this, but I've always been fascinated with airships, and, you know, the Hindenburg always comes to mind, right? The the hydrogen-filled uh, uh, that that just exploded um, and kind of ended the era of airships. <laughs> they have talked about bringing them back a lot over the years, and this particular airship is large, 151 meters or 495 feet will have its entire upper surface covered in solar film. That's 4,800 square meters, 51,700 square feet, uh, or about nine tenths of an NFL football field. If you want to understand how large this actually is. So how this will work uh, by day, the solar panels will run the airships, electric propulsion systems while also banking up, extra power for the overnight haul by electrolyzing water into hydrogen. By night, the hydrogen will run through a fuel cell, providing the juice to keep going. So it's a combination of using solar power by the day, uh, and they'll use that electric uh, the electricity brought through by the solar cells to power the unit, and then it also will electrolyze water uh, pulling the hydrogen out of it. The water is H2O, hydrogen, oxygen. It'll pull the hydrogen out of that and at night run the hydrogen through a fuel cell, which will then convert back to electricity. So it's kind of a combination thing. Uh, it's, let's see, um, it's quite quite the craft, actually. It's beautiful. And... It sees the Aero airship team is expected to average speed of a little over 52 miles an hour. So, so yes, it's less than the tenth of the speed of the average fossil-burning airliner. But you don't expect an airship, a blimp, you know, to have the kind of speed of a, basically, an aircraft, right? Uh but the airships do have some key advantages. You can stop and start at more or less at any point, so you don't need to have a runway, right? You can just you can just dock them wherever. So there's advantages to that. And if everybody was always in a hurry, they probably wouldn't take trains across the country or fl- or drive across the country. Uh, so not everybody needs to have the fastest way there. Maybe maybe the least expensive is a is an okay route. And if you can work and all those type of things, if you can work on board while you're traveling, that's okay too. Um, indeed, while projects like the Air Yacht and Air Lander aim to resurrect the airship as a form of luxury passenger travel, others believe that hydrogen-filled airships are the future of zero-emissions cargo movement, carrying 8 to 10 times a payload of a cargo plane at a quarter of the price and up to 10 times the speed of a cargo ship. So what they're referring to here is that they do run significantly faster than what a boat on water will move cargo across the ocean, eight or up to 10 times faster, they can, and maybe not at the amount of cargo that it can carry, of course, but it can carry eight to 10 times the payload of a cargo plane. So. 
maybe if you don't need to have something overnight, but you need it quicker than what a cargo ship could carry it, and at a and it's at a quarter of the price of what a, a plane can get it to you. So maybe maybe three day delivery, right from from London to New York, just just making things up here, um, at a much reduced cost. Then this would be a form to go with for moving things around or whatever. So it's it's kind of fun. I would love to see airships back. I just think they're graceful. I'd be the first one in one of these things, by the way. So I think it's pretty cool. The uh, energy for Solar Airship One, which is one that uh, that we're talking about originally here, is renewable, but one key component is not. Its rigid structure is filled with 15 separate envelopes containing a combined 50,000 cubic meters of helium. So helium has to be in there. And fun fact, helium is the only element on Earth that's completely non-replaceable. Since it escapes into the air, it rises right up out of the atmosphere and ejects itself into space. So unlike hydrogen or oxygen or whatever, which they go out and if you burn oxygen, or if you burn hydrogen, for example, it combines with oxygen and makes water. I'm just using that as an example, right? So it kind of recycles itself. Helium just rises up into the air and disappears. So every time you fill a helium balloon and that helium gets out, it eventually makes its way out into space. Just so you know how that works. It's not replaceable. Uh, so you just used up, you know, that little bit of helium that's used in that balloon has been used up. So I, I'm just bringing that up to you so that you understand that it is just one of those things that you can't replace when we use it. But I'm excited. I'm excited about the um, about the airships. I think it'd be fun. I live in North Dakota, as many of you know. Um, I've actually visited with companies in the past about using airships here in North Dakota. I think they'd be a viable form of transporting a, a lot of things, including like oil rigs. Uh, instead of pulling along the ground, you could actually have a, you know, an air lift, so to speak, because they can lift a lot of weight. Um, the ability to move things from, you know, like a center where you have a lot of wheat or sugar beets or whatever coming in and move those to the, an elevator. Uh, more efficiently, as opposed to maybe, you know, using many, many trucks, you could have some type of cargo transport, uh, much like how a helicopter might lift things and carry it through the air. You could use an airship that could use, do that, you know, much more efficiently. I think that would be uh, very interesting. And there are a lot of parts of the world that could take advantage of this. And if they're solar powered, makes it even more efficient. And because of the size of these, solar power is actually a viable option. You know, you, you can't put solar on a car, for example, because there's just not enough surface space uh, to, to really make a big difference. You can make a little difference, but not a big difference, right? When you have something that's the size of a football field floating in, floating in the air, that solar uh, power that you can generate from that is enough to move this around. And, and that's what is intriguing about this proposition. And I am excited and hopeful that this company can move forward, uh, with what they're talking about. Uh, cause there are just so many things, whether it's moving cargo, a transportation, uh, uh, 
liner. I mean, it would be fun to to cruise across the United States at a slower pace. I mean, to me, it would be like taking a railway, like Amtrak or whatever, across the country. But instead of being at ground level, you're you're up, you know, five, eight thousand feet and going over the countryside that way. Wouldn't that be a beautiful and majestic way to travel? from place to place. So be looking for the resurgence of airships because of solar. So we were just talking about mining asteroids, and I just ran across this. I just find this fascinating that we were just talking about this in an earlier segment. NASA has been planning, waiting for years, to launch a new spacecraft to explore the bizarrely metal-rich asteroid Psyche. After a delay of a full year, a SpaceX Falcon heavy rocket may finally loft the craft to space as soon as October 5th. So just around the corner here. Softer glitches have have caused launch delays in 2022. Um, The asteroid target is officially named 16 Psyche. It's shaped like a potato with a diameter of 173 meters at its widest point. The exact composition of the asteroid is a subject of some debate. But NASA says it may be up to 60% iron-nickel metals. This is such an unusual high proportion that some scientists speculate Psyche may be a leftover chunk from an ancient planet's core. So NASA has no plans to mine the asteroid, but data returned by the mission could help us get a more accurate idea of its potential value. Some estimates have put the figure as high as a mind-blowing 10,000 quadrillion dollars. I'll say that again, $10,000 quadrillion. I would be thinking that somebody's thinking about how they could mine this. On that's <laughs> That would, oh my goodness. That's incredible. The value is incredible to this. So I can see why uh, there might be something to this. I, I always talk about the... The ROI on NASA, right? Well, maybe maybe NASA could mine this and take care of the country's uh, deficit. Wouldn't that be something? Just because it's mining an asteroid. So anyway, uh, be looking for that. That's going. That's uh, we're we're uh, looking to take off on October fifth for that. Uh, Psyche isn't a near Earth asteroid. It orbits far away between Mars and Jupiter. It'll take the Psyche spacecraft six years to travel the 2.5 billion miles it needs to cover to reach its heavy metal target. So this is this is quite the project again, uh, going up there to check out another asteroid. Uh, six years. We'll know in six years. Uh, and along the way, the spacecraft will be testing advanced laser communications technology to deep space for the first time. So there's other things that are going on with this as well. Um the Psyche spacecraft has completed testing and is fully fueled and ready for launch. The agency and SpaceX are targeting a launch at 10.34 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday, October 5th from Kennedy Space Center. So this will be fun to watch, everybody. And uh, maybe we can get our hands on a 10000 quadrillion dollars. Quadrillion dollars. That's hard to say. There's billion, trillion, is quadrillion next? I don't know. The Tech Ranch. Getting ready for more amazing tech insights from the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Hey, listen to the Tech Ranch. This is Chris Vandeventer, and we got Jordan Alexander sitting across from me. Say hi, Jordan. Hi, Jordan. Hi, Jordan. And we're um, picking up where Marlo left off. We're going to talk about some science fiction. You know, he took science fiction and talked about it, then merged it with science fact, and we're just going to go off the rails. 
let's talk about space comedies. Um, I just love them. Um, one thing is, you know, not any particular order, but we were to go over some um, names of movies and we'll try and see um, what you think. Um, Abbott and Costello go to Mars, 1953. Abbott and Costello are truly some of the funniest people even today. Like, honestly, nothing about their comedy really is dated uh, except for their accents. There's, I mean, some of the stuff that they were doing is still funnier than a lot of the things that are coming out today. I mean, how many people have done their own version of who's on first sketch? Everybody. Everybody's done it. That's how comedy gets started for the most part. That's the common ground of comedy, truly. Yeah. I mean, according to this, Abbott Costello were Hollywood classic comedy duos. In 1945, they met Frankenstein. In 1948, they met with Bor... Wait, hold on. Oh, I'm reading that wrong. We'll just keep going. They met Frankenstein in 1948. Boris Karloff, the original Frankenstein monster, actually um, was there in 1949. And then in 53, they went to Mars. Um, oh, here's an interesting little tidbit. They never actually made it to the Red Planet in this film. They ended up in New Orleans and then later landed on Venus. It says here, don't worry about the science. Just follow the laughs. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's see, Plan 9 from Outer Space. I think this is a classic one. I mean, Ed Wood, uh, Johnny Depp played him in in the biopic. Was it? Was it? John, yeah, it was Johnny Depp. Yes, played Depp. Right. Plan Nine from Outer Space. Like it. This was a horrible movie, truly. But it is such a cult classic. And little known fact, it actually has um, Bela Lugosi in the very one of his last film roles. He. Played Dracula towards the end, but he wasn't really Dracula. You really didn't know it was Bela Lugosi, but he right. was in that movie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, Santa Claus conquers the Martians. Go Santa. Why is he going to Mars and conquering the Martians? It's a great question. Um, it's, I imagine it's because they are bad children there. And we'll just send them coal. You don't need to you know, cross the galaxy. They, they were really bad, Chris. Yeah. Airplane 2, the sequel. I love Airplane. Um, it riffs off all the disaster films of the 70s, but now he's in the space shuttle taking a commercial flight to the moon. That's right. And, I mean, not very funny, but it's very, very bizarre. I mean, William Shatner, he makes a guest starring role in that. That's true. I Anything that Leslie Nielsen touches, I'm a thousand percent involved with personally. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, looking at this image here, Sonny Bono was even in it. He played the um, errant bomber. Fantastic. Who was responsible for the disaster on there. Ah, Marvel Universe. Howard the Duck. Yeah, I mean, Howard the Duck. What can you say? It truly is a, a masterpiece in its own right. Yeah, uh, Leah Thompson and a duck. Um, in 1986, it, it took us almost, was it? 2014 is when Guardians of the Galaxy came out. So when Guardians of the Galaxy came out and Howard the Duck made a cameo at the end of that. And spoilers. And he, oh, <laughs> sorry. Spoiler alert. And um, if you haven't seen number the third one, he's actually in that. I think he actually has a speaking role. He does. That's true. He's at the poker table again. Play, spoilers. They're playing poker. Um, yes. Howard the Duck cheats. Um, That's true. Um, I love that movie. I went to that when I was um, a kid and um, my dad, when we were leaving, he's like, the things you pick to go to on your birthday. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Um, oh, Mel Brooks. How can you not? I mean, Mel Brooks, I think, has poked fun at every genre of every movie that's out there. I mean, classic horror, um, West, westerns, of course, um, Robin Hood. But I think by far his his masterpiece is Spaceballs. It's good. It's really good. It's no young Frankenstein, but it's good. It's wrong, real Frankenstein. It's Frankenstein. Um, little known fact. Um, I just learned this that the actor that played Tuvok in the Star Trek Voyager, yeah, um, he actually had a bit part in Spaceballs. Really? Yeah, he is one of the uh, soldiers where they say comb the planet. I go down and they're combing the planet. I see. And he has a very um, not safe for work response to what they couldn't find. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was that was his. That was his. I don't know if it was his first role, but yeah, I just learned that the other day. Oh, um, it was hilarious. That's so fun. Yep. Spaceballs even received praise from George Lucas. You know, there's a line in there. Um, I think when Mel Brooks's character yogurt, he's like. We'll meet again in Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. And Fantastic. Talks about merchandising. That's right. And that was one of the things, you know, to do the parody, George looks like you cannot sell anything. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I really, I really enjoy that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, here's another coming up on the Halloween season. Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Have you ever seen that? I have. And, you know, it's become a, a really big cult classic to the point now uh, I was recently at the the Halloween store, and they've got merchandise for Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Really? I I can't believe how far reaching it's it's become in the past ten years. Yeah. Uh, once the internet internet caught wind of it, ever since it got put on Netflix, like I said about a decade ago, yeah. it's uh, taken the world by storm. Yeah, it looks like here, um, protecting the town from homicidal alien invaders dressed as clowns. They wrap everybody in these little cotton candy cocoons, and then there's straws, and it's just it's so bad, it's good. I don't know about that. I personally, that's a thumbs down for me. But you know, if I want to zone out for a while and not think about <laughs> anything, yeah, I'll turn that one off. That's great. It's a good one for it. Yeah, um, Coneheads. I love like Dan Aykroyd is truly one of my comedy heroes in the same way that, for example, uh, uh, you know, like Bill Murray or someone would be up there for me. They just truly encapsulate comedy in such a very specific, very just true way. It's it's really, truly funny. And that's the thing. It's not it's they don't rely on anything other than tone of voice and face acting. And that's that's truly for me personally what makes it the best. And I think there's some iconic lines that come out of that too. consumption of mass quantities. It's true. Yeah. Um, maintain your tone. Maintain your tone. We are from France. <laughs> and I mean, it's that's so, so stacked. You know, it's got, yeah, who is in that? Mm -hmm. Michael Richards, Sinbad, uh, obviously Chris Farley, David Spade, um, John Lovitz, who I, you know what? I've come around on him for a long time. I was like, God, I don't know, his voice is annoying, but that's actually what makes him funny, in my opinion. Yeah, Phil Hartman, God rest his soul. Oh, I mean, poor. he was the soul of Saturday Night Live. And um, yeah, so he had a high role in that. It's great. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Mars Attacks. I think if you, hands down, I think of all the Mars Invasion movies, I think this really takes the cake. Tim Burton directed it. Uh, I mean, Jack Nicholson, Glenn Close can go wrong. 
it's a true Tim Burton masterpiece. Um, it's a, it's a, you know, 10 years later after, uh, they did Batman and it truly looks identical to that Tim Burton style and really, really shaped what it looks like today and what people associate with him. Uh, I think it's a sleeper hit and that's a 10 out of 10 for me on Mars Attacks. Yeah, I love Mars Attacks. I just love the way that it's really, really bad music is what finally does them in. <laughs> it's like, what's the, what is it? Um, aliens come to our planet and they're allergic to water. What? At least this made sense. That's true. They didn't know what was coming. <laughs> the Tech Ranch. Super Talk 127. Where technology is our passion. Let's jump back into the conversation with Marlo and Steve. All right. This is Chris Vandeventer and Jordan Alexander in for Marlo Anderson and the Tech Ranch. Welcome back. You know, we've been talking about space and Star Trek and the final frontier. And really, the final frontier has gotten a lot closer. I mean, I think Marlo mentioned earlier that we just had our first mission that visited an asteroid and brought back a sample of the asteroid's material to Earth. Now we're going to be studying that. Um, what I find interesting about that is a lot of these missions to the asteroids, you know, they're, we talk about science fiction, and everyone's biggest fear is that Deep Impact or Armageddon or the Day of the Comet, those kind of things are going to be real, and that we're going to get some sort of asteroid and uh, go the way of the dinosaurs with the big asteroid impact. So what we're trying to do is learn more about these rocks. I mean, there's millions and millions of them out there. We really don't know a lot about them. This one asteroid that they visited, um, apparently it's just a bunch of rubble held together by gravity. It's not even a solid body. And, you know, they figured, well, we got to figure out, we can't just send up a missile and knock this thing out of orbit because it's probably just going to splinter apart and everything like that. Right. Um, and then they dropped off the capsule, and now it's off to check out another asteroid named Apophis, um, the evil serpent god from Stargate. And that one is was at one point um, in the news, everyone thought it was going to become really, really close to hitting Earth in the next 20-some-odd years, and they've recently recalculated its orbital period, and so it's not as much of a danger as they thought it once was. But, you know, NASA's out there checking on these things, keeping an eye out on what's happening with the asteroid belt and everything that keeps crossing Earth's path. Um, you know, we talk about all the advances in technology that have happened. And, you know, we went from the first man's, the first satellite to the first moon landing in the 10 years. Right. Um, but since then, we really haven't done much. Um, we now have the Artemis mission that's working its way back to the moon. But you look at planetary exploration. Um, we launched a spacecraft towards Pluto back in 2004. Right. And while it was en route, Pluto got demoted from a planet to a dwarf planet. That's right. Because it took years and years, a decade to get there. Thanks, Mom. Um, and we've... You know, we've, we've sent a lot of tra um, spacecraft to Mars, but the inner planets, the outer planets, uh, we haven't really done much. Um, I think I was looking, the Soviet Union, the old Soviet Union was the only uh, spacefaring country that was able to land any spacecraft on Venus. We have not been back to Venus right on the surface since I think the early 80s. Um, we did send a radar satellite there and did a huge mapping of, of Venus but it's like the most closest in size and gravity to us. 
but its atmosphere is just so demonic and poisonous, and the pressures are just outstanding that we really don't know a lot about the surface. That's right. Um, and so I think, you know, we need to start working on, you know, getting more and more information and I think more planetary missions, I think are, are really important. Um, even, you know, going back to the moon and you now I'm kind of tired. It's just the U S and well, it was the Soviet Union at the time around now U S is really leading the pack, but there's so many other spacefaring countries out there that, I mean, what's the, what's going on with them? Uh, yeah, the, uh, ISRO, uh, the Indian Space Research Organization recently had a successful mission, uh, landing on the lunar south pole, which is the, makes India the first country to do that. Um, they're the fourth country in general to land on the moon behind the Soviet Union, the United States and China. Um, yeah, so the mission was successful as far as anyone is concerned. Um, it was a six week, uh, uh, mission to the moon and then it was meant to be a two-week rove on the moon. Um, what happened recently is that they put it on sleep mode for the lunar night, which gets to be like, I don't know, like negative 250 Celsius yeah. or something like that. It's, it's, it's intense. And it lasts for like days. 14 days. 14 right. days? Okay. Something like that. So uh, we lost communication with, or they lost communication with their their vehicle and their rover uh, on September 2nd, um, after trying to wake it up from its sleep mode. Um, but in its time there before the lunar night, they were able to assess that there is oxygen and that there is, you know, that there is a potential for energy. So when people are going to the moon, we can actually use the moon's resources. Yeah, wasn't it that on the South Pole, they were thinking that at some of the bottom of some of these craters that we might find water? Water, ice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, is Really, that's what you need is a, looking at once you get there, getting there is, 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 I think, the easy part. It's the getting back that's the problem. Right. Yeah. And it's like, how do you, you don't want to be hauling all of this excess fuel up there. You're going to want to make it on site. No. Yeah. I mean, and if you have water ice that you can actually use and whether it's on the surface or it's under the soils, I mean, yeah, we need to get some sort of plant up there that's going to crack the high, water and separate the hydrogen and the oxygen and get the the liquid fuels we would need um they everyone seems to think that the moon is like this is like the start off the start the launching point right for their planetary exploration uh, absolutely and i think when does the artemis i think artemis is the first man artemis mission is supposed to go in 2024 or 25? I believe so. It was projected 2024, but with the way that things are going right now, it potentially could be much later. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see what's what's happening there. Because ultimately, I mean, Mars is the is the place to be. Right. Uh, everyone wants to get to Mars. Um, you know, one of my favorite novels growing up was called Sands of Mars by Arthur C. Clarke. Sure. And obviously, a lot of these older novels... Um, they were just guessing at what was happening. And the theory behind that book was that there were these plants that were unknown, but they were native to Mars and that they actually produced more oxygen 
than they actually needed. So, I mean, obviously, plants take in CO2 and exhale oxygen. And so they were actually able to use these plants to basically generate oxygen living atmosphere for a lot of these um, settlers, these the new um, people that were traveling to Mars. Sure. And, yeah, I think it's just, it amazes me, again, how much science fiction and science fact have met together. Now, on the opposite side, you look at the old Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. Sure. And you get a Civil War soldier who transports himself to Mars, and there's a whole burgeoning civilization there. That's right. And they have atmosphere, and they have flying craft, and it's like, yeah, not so much. I was just reading his um his Venus uh, set of books. Sure. And... This guy he took off. He was heading for he was heading for Mars, but he got off course and went to Venus instead. And hey, when that happens, there's trees and jungles and <laughs> strange looking creatures. And it's like you know, at some point, it's you know, things are just strange when you look at some of those older science fiction novels, right? Um, I remember Arthur C. Clarke. I think he had a hard time writing the sequels to 2001, right? Because he was waiting for these Jupiter missions to go right and get a lot of the science, the hard science back from those. And, um, 2010. And then he's got this one book. Uh, it was 2061 is the third in the, um, Odyssey series. Sure. And that's set when the next time that Haley's comet comes back. Right. Um, and it's a whole thing about taking a flight to Haley's comet and checking it out. <laughs> then Europa gets involved and all sorts of weird and strange things. Um, isn't there a Europa mission supposed to be coming up? Yeah, I I don't even know. Oh, maybe I'm just thinking of Star Trek Picard. That, that, That's possible. That was, uh, yeah, the, the Star Trek Picard was, had, had the theory of the, um, <laughs> Europa mission was one of the plot points. That's true. Yeah. I, and you know, what's really interesting is, I mean, just to go back a little bit, just knowing that there is, there is for a fact sulfur iron, oxygen, other things like that currently on the moon is so, so big because now not only do we have a a really, really, really good jumping off point, obviously in the 60s we went to the moon and since then a few times, but this really truly shows us that we don't really know that much, you know, mm -hmm. about our direct moon or any of the solar system in general. And every time I have that realization, I feel super small and ins insignificant, you know, uh, I kind of get how Will, Will Smith felt in Men in Black, the first one at least, yeah. you know, uh, just feeling like I'm way out of my league, even knowing anything about this, which is not much, truthfully. But right. it's it is such a it's such a promising future for space exploration. And, you know, having Elon Musk's SpaceX uh, be completely away from any sort of government and just being an independent space exploration uh, mission. I think that's so cool that it's even possible at all. What do you think about? Um, you know, obviously you have um Bezos and his uh blue, was it Blue Origins, and then um Richard Branson's got his um Virgin Galactic. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing those as more like novelties. Sure. I mean, uh, that you're not really going into space, right? You're hit the the boundary of what qualifies as where space begins, but you really haven't left the entire atmosphere. Right. 
Um, and you're up there, you, you get maybe an hour, and then you come back down, and you get to experience weightlessness, but you can do that in the, one of the NASA's vomit comments. That's true. Um, but I, I mean, I would love to be on one of those suborbital flights. I mean, that's that's how we started. Right. Suborbital um, with um, Alan Shepard. And yeah, I think that would just be so much fun. My hope is that even though there's no real research or science that's going to come out of some of these suborbital flights, particularly if they're just going to be the most richest people that can afford these tickets. Right. Um, but I do think that it's going to generate a lot more interest. And if we can get it to the point where these things become more affordable. Right. Um, if people go on cruises, people do on do adventure excursions to Antarctica and whatnot. It's true. What's to say, you, you know, you, you can't, you know, get a, a Groupon or something and, <laughs> and take a suborbital flight and check things out. And, um, yeah, I just wish, I think there's so much opportunity to do more hard exploration of the solar system and ultimately you know, we can really put some practical use to it make it so it's not just we're not going there just because we're right. going there for a purpose i think that definitely if we go back to the moon we should stay there <laughs> um and not just because you have the conspiracy theorists that say we didn't land there to begin with i mean we should go there and build facilities and learn about the lunar surface and do more than we can just do in like a, a few days trip, you know? That's true. Yeah. I mean, it is made of cheese, so that makes it a little difficult yeah. to inhabit. But other than that, I right. think it's a great idea. Uh, what kind of, I forget what kind of cheese. Blue cheese? It must be. That's where we get the blue moon, right? That's right. Yeah. Do you remember the old um, Adventures of Baron Munchausen? I don't. Um, Terry Gillum from... Uh, Monty Python. Fantastic. He took the old story of Baron Munchausen, this this old story about the fantastical adventures of this eccentric traveler. Sure. And there's a um a part where they actually go to the moon and then they use like bed sheets tied together, get <laughs> off of the moon, back down to the earth, and they actually lose their footing and then they crash land on Earth, but because they landed in Mount Vesuvius. Okay. The updraft kept them from being seriously hurt. I mean, it, it would take a Monty Python person to come up with something like that. It sounds great. Honestly, that sounds fantastic. Yeah, get a, get a wingsuit going and just fly to the, fly me to the moon. That's right. Let me swing among the stars. That's right. You know, there was a successful mission recently, I heard, uh, to explore the Titanic. Why don't we just get those people to go up into space? What was it called? The Titan? Why the, Why can't we have the Titan 2, the spacecraft? Too soon. What do you mean too soon? Well, no. It is really, uh, um, <laughs> you know, we don't really know anything about the ocean. That's true. I mean, we, we're talking about space, but and I think when we come back, maybe we should just, let's talk about the oceans, man. Take a deep dive, if you will. Yeah, and figure out what's going on down there. Either this week or next. I don't know. All right. <laughs> You're listening to the Tech Ranch, where a random thought generator is responsible for all of the content you've heard today. Um, stay with us, and we'll be back with more non sequiturs for your enjoyment. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7. Let's get back to discovering the latest in technology with the guru of geek, Marlo Anderson. Hi, you're listening to the Tech Ranch. This is Chris Vandeventer and Jordan Alexander in for Marlo. 
We're the cleanup crew. That's right. We're going to continue on with this discussion about Star Trek and technology. And, you know, Jordan, there's one aspect of Star Trek that always has struck some people as, you know, pure fiction. Sure. It's never going to happen. And, you know, the warp drive. Right. Um, But what powers the warp drive is antimatter. Right. And so does antimatter really exist? It does now. It does. Um, you know, they've been producing uh, small amounts of it. It was proven back in, like, I think, the early 1930s. There was a mathematician that was looking at some math about the way electrons move and said, you know what, there's got to be the opposite. And later on, they discovered it. They right. called it, it's not an electron, it's a positron. And these have been produced in small amounts, usually bits and pieces. You know, they'll produce antiprotons or positrons. But not really large atoms, because what's the one thing that matter and antimatter have in common is that they hate each other. Right. No, they're opposite charges. And what happens when two opposite charges meet? They get pulled together. And if that happens with matter and antimatter, it's like a nuclear bomb going off. Ate the smallest, smallest amount. So, you know, these have been studied for a while. Um, I actually just learned today that PET scans which are use radioactive isotopes to um, scan the whole body for cancer, like metastatic cancer. Right. Um, That uses positrons as part of it. So antimatter is used in PET scans in the medical fields today. There you go. But the biggest question is, is if it's the opposite of regular matter, what does gravity do to it? You know, that's a great question. Um, And... You would think, one would think, that it goes up and it would destroy gravity, right? Mm-hmm. So what, you're telling me that gravity can go up? <laughs> it's weak. Gravity is weak. That's the thing about it. Um, you know, there are other sources, uh, or forces, I should say, like electrostatic or magnetism, things like that. But gravity itself is weak, right? Mm-hmm. So one could possibly imagine a world in which... Antimatter would do the opposite of matter, but in this particular instance, it's not the case. Yeah, um, it was in the CERN Super Collider over in Switzerland. They generated some really infinitesimally small amounts of antihydrogen. And, you know, studying antimatter can be compl- complicated because, you know, obviously it destroys itself and regular matter. So I have to keep them in these magnetic thermoses. And, but, you know, they actually did a test and just came out that, yep. Antimatter falls down. There you go. So there you go. Um, uh, it's maybe now all we need to do is find some dilithium and we'll be able to get a warp drive going. I don't know. Perfect. I'll, uh, I'll call my dilithium guy. Oh, you have a dilithium guy. Oh, sweet. I got a guy for everything. Well, I have a guy that majors in and that sells positrons. So maybe we'll just kind of get those two guys together. And Perfect. We'll figure it out. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, anything else going on in the news? I mean, when you look at antimatter, I would say, you know, the same equation applies. E equals mc squared. Right. You know, the amount of matter you have times the speed of light squared is the amount of energy you get out. You'd think, you'd seem to think, you know, the sun is doing this every second. Like what, 5 million tons of hydrogen is fused and Every second, but the energy the output is 
magnitudes larger than that. Right. What if we could actually, you know, control the reaction, control the annihilation of matter and antimatter? Now we're talking about really tiny stuff here. Right. Big output. Problem is, is are we putting in more electricity than we're getting out? I mean, that's the whole concept about trying to develop um, fusion power. Right. You know, the sun does it great, but we try to do it here on Earth and, you know, takes more energy to create the fusion than than you get out of it. Though I do believe uh, earlier this year they were able to actually um, do a short generation of fusion that actually produced more energy. Really? It was a net energy gain. Very small amount, but there was there was the first time that they were actually able to get more energy out of the fusion reactor than they were than they had put in. Fantastic. Yeah, I saw. I think there's lots of um, opportunity in the energy sector with a lot of this stuff. Um, you know what I just find amazing about this whole discussion is it's kind of like Marla was saying earlier in the show how much science fiction has led to science fact and technology. I mean, the anti antimatter was discovered in the 1930s and now we're almost a hundred years later and we're finally learning more about it and finding some, maybe not practical applications, but we're on the verge of figuring out what to do with it. Right. Uh, reminds me of, you know, the science, science fiction author, Arthur C. Clarke, he is credited with inventing the communication satellite. He envisioned in one of his earlier uh, short stories, a system of orbital satellites that would enable global communication. And look where we are today. Right. We have satellite phones. Um, the new iPhone has satellite built in for emergencies if you're in a cellular dead area. I mean, I remember when I used to live in Japan, it was like I had to type in a Swiss bank account just to make a phone call back <laughs> to the States. And now... It's almost like you don't even have to think. You can just pick it up and call. Right. Not even video calls, um, texting. I mean, you could just basically get this information around the world with really no effort at all. Right. Science fact, you know. Yeah, science fiction to science fact. Uh, that's a really interesting – I mean, that's an interesting – uh, parallel that we see uh, and it happens all the time like you mentioned like marlo mentioned it's in every single facet of science fiction at one point or another we're going to live that life that future i remember there was an old commercial um perhaps it was for maybe it was an at&t commercial from the 90s if you recall this uh it, the, it takes place in a train station right um this person goes runs to this module in which they could facetime with another person that was at a module now obviously we've got that capability in our pocket um and that was gleaned from something like some of those old spy movies where you could uh you know communicate with someone via your watch which now you can it's just a really interesting parallel to see how far we've come in the past 50 years, even the past 20 years. Yeah. I was just, you know, you talk about the old ways of envisioning technology. I've been working on the national daily podcast for right. the destination celebration and up coming up is national name your car day. Right. Uh, it's coming up on Monday and well, I'm always looking for like interesting clips to go around and, I pulled up an old episode, Herbie the Love Bug. Right. Oh, was it the Love Bug or Herbie Rides Again? Okay. Um, 
and the old lady, she's riding around in Herbie and these villains are chasing her because they want to steal her firehouse. And they have these giant landline phones sitting right. in the middle of the limo, picking them up and calling, talking to the, the bad guy. And it's like, that's just hilarious. I mean, we see these cell phones. That, that technology wasn't even real. And they were throwing these in cars and just imagining. It's like, right. we were in the 70s. And let's, well, let's just take a phone and plug it into the back seat. <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing um, how fiction and fact can kind of merge together and just make a reality even more interesting than it already is. And that's a wrap on another fantastic episode of The Tech Ranch. Remember, if you have any questions or want to suggest topics for future shows, visit thetechranch.com and send us your thoughts. You can also listen to past episodes and watch exclusive interviews not featured on the radio show. Be sure to follow Marlo and Steve on social media by clicking the links at thetechranch.com. Until next time, keep exploring the world of living with technology. The Tech Ranch. Super Talk 12-7.